available in more homes than the Pac-12 Network. We are the Podcast of Champions. I'm David Woods from Bruin Report Online. And here he goes, Miles Jack! And I'm Ryan Abraham from USCFootball.com. Liner, going to try to sneak it ahead. Touchdown, SC! We are the Podcast of Champions. Welcome, everyone, back to the Podcast of Champions. I'm David Woods from Bruin Report Online, the UCLA site on the 247 Sports Network. I almost said 247, and then I stopped. And then it came out like 24-7. Yeah. I read. It was like a 24-7 uh, yeah. network. That's okay. Uh, and I'm Ryan Abraham, uh, the publisher of uscfootball.com, also on the 24-7 sports network. And together, Dave and I jokingly make up the podcast of champions. Yes, you're listening to us talk about all things Pac-12 football. We got a good show, Dave, Dave today. I think it's going to be fun. Yeah, you said football up top, but that's a that's a little bit of a misnomer this this time around. We don't normally like to talk the hoops, the round ball. Uh, no, but we have to talk a little bit about it today. We do. Um, the reason being, of course, that we are just exiting the first weekend of the NCAA tournament, and not only is no Pac-12 team alive, no Pac-12 team even advanced to the round of 32 the second set of games on the first round of the NCAA tournament. It's the first weekend of the NCAA tournament. So that's bad. That's not good. Ryan, I know you're not a basketball guy, but that's not great. Yeah, I don't I don't know all the, you know, the, the nuances and innuendos of the sport that you talk about, but it seems bad cuz I was watching I you know, I had to work a little bit Thursday. I was watching Friday trying to see which where how the Pac-12 was doing and I didn't see any teams. Yeah, kind of weird. Kind of weird. So <laughs> to begin with uh, the Pac-12 was dealt absolutely no respect. Uh, Arizona was the one school that turned out to be safely in, and they were in after winning the Pac-12 as a four seed. And then it was like three different teams, ASU, UCLA, and USC, who were all in contention for what turned out to be play-in games. UCLA and ASU both got into the play-in games as 11 seeds, uh, the first four, and then USC was relegated to the NIT. And then UCLA and ASU both lost in the first four, so they didn't even make the field of 64. And then Arizona lost as a four seed to Buffalo uh, in the first round. And it was uh, Arizona was a trendy pick. A lot of people picked them to go to the final fourth. Felt that they felt that they should have had a higher seed, and maybe the NCAA had something to do with that because of the you know the FBI investigations and all that. Maybe they got bumped down a little bit. The conspiracy theory people. I don't know if you're big into that, Dave. Um, USC didn't make it. They were part of the FBI. I think it was at Oklahoma State, too, was another one. I can't remember. There was another school, too, that were like bubble teams that didn't make it into the tournament, with, and they had that FBI investigation stuff kind of looming over their heads. But um, that trendy pick of Arizona did not did not work, <laughs> work out so well. Everybody was out. First time, first time you got a chance to play if you're a Pac-12 team, you were out. Yeah, and so I'm not much of a conspiracy theorist, and in this case, I, I don't actually think it had anything to do with that. I think it was largely uh, the Pac-12 sucked this year, and it was obvious <laughs> all year long that it sucked. There weren't any dominant teams. There weren't any really good teams. It was mostly a bunch of mediocre teams, and so it was kind of a dis- it was kind of tough to gauge for a lot of people because it was a lot of teams that were like 20 and 11. 
or like 19 and 12 or whatever the record was. So they weren't awful, but it was just so many teams that were mediocre that the entire league, like there just wasn't anything dominant about it. Um, And so I think the respect they were given by the uh, tournament committee was well-earned and and deserved. I mean, they didn't play that well um, the whole season long. And then they, you know, sometimes when that happens, you know, when a bunch of, you know, when a conference gets, you know, no respect, um, they turn out, they, you know, they take that as another opportunity to, you know, really show them. Uh, The Pac-12 did not and, uh, and, and played very, very badly. And now, now we are entering the round of 16 with absolutely no Pac-12 teams, yeah, which is that, as it should. Now, did you um, – so, like, I, I've done some shows on this or whatever. People would ask me questions, you know, and I, I – US, USC had, like, an RPI of – it was, like, 31 or 35 or something, and it seemed like that was an important factor, at least before. Now they've got this new thing with the quadrant wins and stuff, but the late – you know, a lot of the times, at least, you know, over the sev- last several years or whatever, years when you'd watch the tournament selection, it seemed like – the last 10 games were important, your RPI and stuff like that. They seem to throw that out the window where you put like an, an ASU who was really terrible down the stretch, um, but had some really good wins in December. Uh, is that kind of the way it is now? Like you just have a good December and no matter what you do, you're probably going to be into the tournament. Is it, has it changed? I mean, it's not like, it's not like ASU got like a seven seed. They, they were barely in and, I mean, for my like my personal opinion, based on their like resumes, I probably would have picked USC over ASU. Um, I, I might have even gone USC over UCLA, but USC just didn't beat anybody all year. Like they didn't have a win that you say, "Oh wow, that was a really really good win." I mean, the best team they beat, according to Ken Palm, no joke, all year was Middle Tennessee. And wow. that was in that was in December, and that was uh, Ken Pomeroy's, who's like advanced stats basketball guy. Uh, they that was his forty sixth best team this year. So why was so it, like the was, RPI that, so high then? Like what their RPI was pretty RPI's, high. RPI is funky. It's a calculation based off of a lot of different factors that don't take into you know a, a lot of the efficiency stats and all that kind of stuff. It can take into account like what your record is against certain conference opponents, against top twenty five opponents. It's just it's it's kind of a bonkers measurement that doesn't really assess team quality it's just it's the factor that the tournament committee has used for so long but it's been uh, now i i could be talking out of my butt here a little bit but i i believe it's been de-emphasized um to a, a pretty significant extent in the last couple of years okay um, and they've started to use more advanced stats they can use that sort of thing to um you know fuel the recommendations and also um I think the like the last ten games metric has also fallen by the wayside because um, that used to be a pretty big one, you know how how teams performed in their last ten games. But I don't think closing hugely strong was all that w- was relatively more important than opening the year strong. Um, and ASU, um, all things being equal, they had some really damn good wins this year. I mean, they beat two one seeds, Xavier and Kansas. Um, they beat Kansas State. Um, and they beat USC in their lone matchup. So yeah. I'm, I'm sure those all played a role in them being picked over USC. Um, but I mean, w- what we're talking about here is three teams that were competing for 11 seeds. Yeah. And then one team <laughs> that was safely in in Arizona. I mean, no matter how you slice it, if you threw USC in there and you took UCLA or ASU out, or you had all three of them in there as 11 seeds, that's still 
god awful. I mean, that's <laughs> that's absolutely horrendous. Um, and I, you know, so what, what what we're getting at is so the conversation after this. I mean, this is this is the kind of thing coupled with the bull record where Utah was the only team that won a bull game. Uh, it's the kind of thing that starts to fuel national criticism of the Pac-12. And my take on it is criticism of the Pac-12 is completely deserved. For this, I, I think the NCAA tournament's a complete crapshoot, and like losing and being out by the you know the second weekend, I mean that's a crapshoot. You know that could happen to any league. Um, but the, the the sheer nature that these teams are so disrespected, three teams, you know, two teams, eleven seeds, one teams, a four seed, um, speaks to the lack of quality of these teams throughout the course of the year. And then you throw in the bull record and all this stuff. I think it's driving some much needed criticism of the Pac-12. Yeah. And I think, you know, when you look at the, it's it, and like we said, it's not necessarily just about the postseason. Um, it's really how the whole regular season went, how the selection committee looked at the Pac-12. I mean, this is a revenue sport. There's football and there's men's basketball and that's what matters. And you can talk about when you say, you know, podcasts of champions, conference of champions, you're mostly talking about Olympic sports. You're not talking about the sports that get the highest TV ratings, that generate the most money, and, and basically pay for all of those Olympic sports. The you know you get all the money from football, television, and and basketball, and all that. That's what pays for most of the rest of the athletic department's budget. So these are what's the the sports that are important. And the Pac-12 over the last you know eight or nine months failed on an epic level that we've never seen before. We've never seen a conference be as bad one in eight in bowl games as the Pac-12. And like Dave said, it's it's more of a crapshoot in basketball, but really having, you know, the usually the winner of the Pac-12 is getting a number one seed in the West or something, right? I mean, that's what we would have before. It's not even uh, close to that. I mean, you're talking about a number four seed and then two play-in games. So if it was the old format, it would have just been one team <laughs> from the Pac-12 making it in. So that sparked a a national narrative about how bad is the Pac-12, you know, coupled with all of the shortcomings that the Pac-12 had shown during the football season. We talked about it, you know, all of them with the schedule and and DirecTV, everything, all the stuff. And every time I tweet about someone mentioned something new. Oh, yeah, I forgot about that one, too. So many shortcomings for the Pac-12. This just kind of highlighted that. And we saw a lot of national writers talking about this and a lot of the criticisms shifted to Larry Scott, the commissioner of the Pac-12, who just happens to be the highest paid commissioner of all of the power of any conference in college athletics and the conference that has, you know, you could argue has done the worst over the last five or six years. Yeah. And, you know, I, I think there's a lot of criticism that's deserved for Larry Scott. And I have no problem with this turning into a pile on for Larry Scott. I think what's happened is it's a, it's a confluence of factors because it's Larry Scott, but it's also the administrations of these schools. Yes. I mean, Arizona made a great hire and hired Sean Miller, um, a, a very good hire. I mean, whatever you want to classify it on whatever spectrum you want. And, you know, whether, however the FBI investigation turns out, um, you know, Arizona has gotten some nice success out of him. Um, no, they haven't made a final four, but they've made, you know, a few elite eights and they've been, uh, you know, the top tier program in the PAC 12. They've taken care of business. UCLA has not. It's been nine years, and UCLA has won one conference title in nine years. It's like with U- USC in football. If 
USC is bad at football, which, you know, kind of in the 90s and so on, the conference suffers. When the flagship schools in a particular sport are not great, the conference suffers. UCLA has the pedigree to be better than whatever they were this year, an 11 seed in the NCAA tournament play-in game and, you know, the fourth best team in the Pac-12. And they haven't won the conference under Steve Alford. Like all of that stuff, that matters too. Um, the individual administration of these particular schools. The fact that Washington let Lorenzo Romar really drive that into the dirt before um, they finally made a coaching change and brought in Mike Hopkins. I mean, it was very clear that Lorenzo Romar, despite recruiting well, wasn't doing anything with that program over the last three or four years. Um, and you know, to let that get to that such a state for Stanford um, to have been as bad as it was for so long um, for Cal now to be in this position where they are just dreadful. And Cal's got a decent enough basketball tradition. Um, it, just all of these factors, that's that's on the administrations of these respective schools. It's on the 80s making bad hires in the first place or not being quick enough to fire, um, not being quick enough to hire again. Um, and I. I don't know what kind of role the Pac-12 can take in that. Maybe it is putting more pressure on the schools to make those sorts of changes. But I think uh, – and if that's the case, I think they need to start you know, having those real conversations with their respective schools. Um, but I, I don't know what the likelihood of that is, and I don't know the nature of the Pac-12's relationship with their respective schools, whether that's something that you know, they even have the leverage to encourage that sort of thing because the Pac-12 network is generating such little revenue. Yeah, I think the the you know one of the really good points there is that the schools themselves, the presidents have to, and they extended Larry Scott. You know, um, they're okay with him being the highest paid commissioner, and they're yep. okay with the the staff at the Pac-12 Network being the you know the highest paid. Uh, even though now they've had to have some layoffs and stuff, and they're you know they've they've approved all this kind of stuff, and now I think a lot of those poor decisions are kind of coming to a head, and it's not. It's not well. That's the only reason why the the Pac-12 was terrible, like in the in the postseason for both sports. But you put yourself in a position to have this potentially happen, and it did. And it just bring it's this glow, you know, it's this glaring spotlight on the conference about how bad it's been. Um, and you know, there's been a four years of playoff, and half the time the Pac-12 hasn't made it. Um, so it's something does have to change, and I I think. The, you know, there's going to be some real fair criticism of Larry Scott, and some of it, you know, isn't his fault, and some of it, you know, really was approved by the uh, the presidents, like you said. But I put a tweet out there um, saying, "Is Larry Scott the worst commissioner in history? Like, not currently, <laughs> but ever." And ninety six, no, ninety four percent said yes. I said it was a simple yes or no. Ninety four percent said yes. I got into some arguments with some of our friends on Twitter that cover college football, a lot of people, well, I mean, not a lot because 94% thought he was the worst, but the people that didn't, uh, some people felt it was Tom Hansen, who was the previous commissioner of the Pac-12. So I kind of wanted to get your Also thought. a fair argument. Also he, a fair yeah. argument. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of like you're, so he was kind of stuck in the 70s and didn't really want to advance. And at least Larry Scott kind of advanced things, but he did for a little while and then just so many bad decisions and it just made it, yeah. it worse. I think in the landscape, my, my argument was that Hanson was bad, but no one else was like exactly. crushing it then. Like people are crushing it now and, and Larry Scott's just getting destroyed. So Co college football was still almost like a 
like a country club atmosphere with a lot of these like leagues and ads and all that kind of stuff it was i I don't want to say it was like a casual thing it's been a big business for a while but it's now like the stuff of real corporate america like you've got to be on everything you've got to be super efficient and i don't think the i think the pac-12 is just falling exponentially behind yeah no i would agree with you and that so that was my main argument was i think that and hansen was he didn't want to play off he didn't want a plus one he was one of the architects i believe of the bcs so there, there were some things he kind of did there uh, but he didn't see the needs at least larry scott came in and saw like the need okay think something's got to change and it seemed like good at first and then it just I don't know he just kind of backed off, and yes, there's inherent problems with the West Coast and the times. There's there's a lot of problems there, but I think you can make them worse with some of the decisions you make, and we've seen some of these decisions be very poor, and uh, it's it's making things a lot worse for the Pac-12 than they really uh, kind of need to be. And then um, I wanted to ask you too, Dave. I I think I posted a question on Twitter from our account, the the at Pac-12 podcast. Um, with a, a number one seed losing to a 16 seed, that became the huge story. The, the first couple, the first day, it was the Pac-12 was gone. Like this, they were gone on Thursday. So yeah. it wasn't even like the, the, you know, the first round wasn't even halfway over yet and the Pac-12 was gone. And it was a huge upset with Arizona. Now there's been crap loads of buzzer beaters and the 16 beats the one. Did you think that helped or hurt the Pac-12? Like did it take some attention off with all this other exciting stuff that's been going on that you, people weren't focused on? the Pac-12's collapse? I mean, I, I, I don't think it was going to be something that, like, the news cycle forces a change. Like, I don't think, like, anybody's making a sudden decision to fire Larry Scott, despite some national columnists writing that. Um, I just don't think that's the way it would work at the, you know, conference commissioner level, especially in response to the by far second um, money-making sport doing so badly. Because this wasn't, this wasn't a huge narrative after football. You know, I mean, it was there were a few stories about, oh, the Pac-12, you know, had an unlucky streak in bull games. But I didn't see anybody calling for, you know, Larry Scott to be canned after that. It was this because I think it's also the the FBI controversy. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I think it helps a little bit just getting a little bit of the heat off of them because this tournament has been nuts. Um, I I think even compared to recent past, um, you know, obviously 16 seed beating a one, but there's a region where there's none of the top four seeds are still in. Um, so it's, I mean, it's been pretty crazy. Um, and I think that helps a little bit, but you know, I, I think this is yet another, you know, if, if the university presidents are, you know, doing their due diligence, this is yet another data point where they really have to consider it. And I, again, consider it from the perspective of, okay, it's not just that you went 0 and 3 in the tournament. It's that you didn't have a team seated higher than fourth. And you didn't have a second team seated higher than 11th. So even though you got three teams technically in, you only had one team in the round of 64 yeah. or in the um, in the the 64 team field. And I'd have to go back and look, but I I don't know if there's another year where the Pac-12 or 10 only had one team in the uh, in the um, field of 64. Yeah, they've That's... had they've had two. Um, as recently as 2010 and 2012, but I, I think this might be the the one time that they've only had one for the for the uh, field of 64, which is that's that's just horrible. It is, and I and you know when if you looked at some of the press conferences like Andy Enfield when he got when USA got snubbed, hit shock. You know there was there was shock there. 
it didn't seem like the people that knew really what made the committee tick and what they were um, you know, basing most of their decisions on, those people didn't seem as surprised. Did the Pac-12 need to do a better job of letting, like, letting people know, did the coaches know, hey, uh, USC, you know, don't assume you're in. You're, this is really, you know, or, or UCLA, you're, you're, you're going to be in a play-in game or Arizona State, whoever. Did, did the Pac-12 need to do a better job of that? Like Larry Scott came out afterwards, but he didn't, you, they weren't really pushing anything before. I don't know. Could they have done more, you think, Dave, going into that, being able to see, wow, this could be really bad selection day for, for the Pac-12? Well, so I would say that UCLA and ASU, I didn't get the impression that either of those uh, programs thought it like odd that they were 11 seeds in the play in game. Like, I think they were both like, okay, yeah, we're barely in. That makes sense. I think just the simple fact that USC, instead of being barely in and was out, that, and especially because you compare USC to UCLA and ASU, and despite losing to both of those teams, um, USC was rated higher in Ken Palm. Like I think USC's situation in particular, it, it, I, I, I can't get into Andy Enfield's head. Maybe he thought he was going to be a seven seed, but I think he probably thought, you know, rated against UCLA and, and ASU, we're probably ahead of them. So I think we're safely in because they're not going to leave, you know, all four of the top four Pac-12 teams at home. You know, they're going to at least take another one of us. So I feel like I'm, you know, I feel like we're safely in. And so the fact that probably not that just that they missed, but that they were clearly behind UCLA and ASU for um, one of those 11 seeds, I think that probably made him a little bit more shocked than he would otherwise would have been, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, but I don't, yeah, I don't know if there yeah. could have been some you know education from the Pac-12 or if the Pac maybe you know, if they knew, I'm not sure, but. I think everyone like... kind of knew the score. I mean, I, I think everyone knew that the conference. I know Steve Alford looks at like the metrics and stuff, and I think they knew kind of where the Pac-12 was netting out in terms of, you know, this is probably the sixth best conference this year. You know, it's not going to be a, 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 you know, except for Bill Walton jokingly on the Pac-12 uh, telecast. I don't think anybody was expecting more than, you know, at most four teams making it, um, and you know, three teams ended up doing it. So. I don't know where where do you stand on this, Dave? With uh, I mean, I, I I think Wilner had a piece recently where he put a lot of the blame on Larry Scott for football, but for basketball, I think he agreed with you where it's more, you know, this could be an anomaly. Like you know, last year there was three teams from the Pac-12 in the Sweet 16, um, but I do think that this is a problem that's not going away because that that money discrepancy, how much all the other power conference you know power five conference schools are going to be making if it's you know 10 million a year and us uh, usc ucla washington all those schools compared to like rutgers or iowa state or whoever you know kansas state they're going to be making 10 million less than a school like that it's crazy and this isn't changing until 2024 right like that's when this this tv contract runs out so it's only going to get worse from here on in. We're basically just halfway through this this contract. So if this is happening now, this kind of collapse is happening now, how bad could it be, you know, a couple of years from now? There'll be some wins or whatever, but I think that's what people are having an issue with like, look, this is just just shedding, you know, shining a light on how bad this could be over the next 6 years. Yeah, and I think with football it's it's much more apparent and obvious um that it's I think in large part a conference failure. Um, 
either failing to adapt in terms of going to an eight-game schedule and getting on more of an even footing with the SEC, or failure of lobbying correctly for, you know, whatever you need to do to, to get teams consistently in the playoff, or whether it's, you know, simply um, just getting more eyeballs on the you know, TV screens at the proper times or whatever it is. Um, I think football has been a massive failure in those respects. I, I, I'm, I'm with Wilner on the basketball. I think basketball is when I look at football, I see a lot of good coaches, you know, a lot of coaches that SEC schools would love to have. Um, you know, I see Chris Peterson, Chip Kelly, um, you know, Kevin Sumlin, who was an SEC coach and I'm sure Arkansas or whatever would have loved to have hired him or whatever. Um, David Shaw. I mean, I, I don't want to forget anybody, but there's a lot of, um, good coaches on the football side of things on the basketball side of things. I see Sean Miller who may or may not still be at Arizona after this year and may or may not be done with coaching depending on how this FBI investigation turns out. Um, you've got Larry Kristoviak, who I think is good. Um, you've got Dana Altman who I think is good. And then you've got a whole lot of other guys and it's hard to say who's really good or who's even kind of good or who's even average. Um, and that's on the universities themselves, because the arms race with salaries in basketball is nowhere in it with what football is. Um, football is getting legitimately crazy. And, you know, my point about the money not really mattering, well, it's quickly mattering because, you know, coordinators are now getting paid two million dollars because um, SEC schools are insane. Uh, that's not really happening as much with basketball. Still, some of the like best coaches in the country don't get paid all that much money. And it's still kind of in that position where you know you can get a a pretty damn good coach for two or three million dollars um and pac-12 schools just haven't done it they they haven't consistently hired good to great coaches um they've done a bad job of managing their programs um so you know i i think it has a step to go before it becomes on the basketball side at least the the conference you know conference leadership issue i think there are leadership issues across the board but um, the basketball thing, the most immediate problem is you've got a lot of mediocre coaches at these programs. So I was going to be curious um, this summer when, you know, the uh, wherever the Pac-12 ends up going, what movie studio or whatever. It's been uh, <laughs> Hollywood and Highland the last couple of years. But, I mean, I, I feel like the last couple of years, Dave, at those things, um, there there's not really been as many shots at Larry Scott or just, you know, people, no one even asked about DirecTV at the last one. But I think with this kind of performance, it's going to be like if he brings out like the the Washington uh, women's rowing coach to start the the conference oh, like he did. I mean, I, I just don't think people are going to put up with that this year. It's like, look, we get it. You know, uh, lacrosse and water polo and sw- like all that stuff is awesome. But if you can't win or, you know, or, or be relevant, and that's not win, just be relevant in football and basketball, this is what matters. This is the, the Pac-12, you know media day for football it's not about winning your 500th championship in the conference and all that so i i'm curious to see what it's going to be like this year and if i get credentialed or not for putting up polls like is larry's got the worst commission ever um <laughs> like yeah ryan we're not really uh we don't really want you here uh, uh but so yeah, i'm curious to see what that, that, that you know I, I wish we could fast forward to that because i would love to hear what larry scott has to say um how you're going to spin this with the worst postseason performance in football and basketball in the same year yeah he usually i mean he usually handles that sort of thing pretty well um he doesn't really 
I don't know. I, I don't know if I've ever, and I've seen him in a lot of interview settings. I don't know if anyone's ever really had a really good gotcha for him where he's kind of been flummoxed by it. Yeah. So it'll be interesting to see if, because uh, I imagine, I mean, that's going to be the storyline next year. Is I mean, unless you know, there's some stuff that could happen, but I think it would all be negative. You know, if the results of the FBI investigation come out and a bunch of Pac-12, you know, schools get hit in basketball. Like that's going to be a storyline, but that also doesn't reflect well on the Pac-12, you know. Right. So it's it's going to be I, one way or another. I think he's going to be facing, you know, maybe his his toughest uh, media job since he's been here. And you know, it's I feel bad because it's like we're not here to be the mouthpiece for the Pac-12, but we're not here to just trash them at every you know every turn just for the fun of it. We'd I mean, l- we'd love to celebrate them like Bill Walton. We'd yes. love to. It'd be great. Well, that that's like a little over the top, but um, <laughs> we, we're trying to live in, in a more, you know, in reality, I guess. And uh, I think it can be better. I know that there are inherent problems with the Pac-12 and being on the West Coast and all that, but you, you make them worse um, by a lot of the decisions being made. And when you're critical of a decision that happened like five years ago and you see it start, you're like, well, you see, that's why we were critical of that decision. You see how bad this is getting. You see how bad it's getting. And it's like, it keeps getting worse and you're not making it's like you're defending that original decision as opposed to, okay, what do we do to make this better and fix the problem that we had admitting that, you know what, looking back, maybe we shouldn't put seven networks out there. Maybe we should just do one and maybe we should have partnered with ESPN. Like that would be great. You know, at least there'd be like, okay, but we can't do anything until this year or whatever, but this is what we're going to do going forward. You'd love to see something like that. And you're not, um, so well, I, and that might lead to like better investment in it because people know what the product's going to be in the future, yeah, or whatever it is. But right now, it doesn't feel stable, and <laughs> like it doesn't because people look at the long term viability of the Pac twelve network, and it's like, uh, this isn't going anywhere. Yeah, and, and do you believe, so he would always say that we're betting on hundred percent ownership. So Larry Scott said we own the the hundred percent of the Pac twelve. Um, it's you, such a long game, though, because it's going to depend. Like that'll depend on the full collapse of cable, right? Isn't that what he's banking on? I guess. Basically, yeah. <laughs> like uh, if you're if you're looking for the hundred percent ownership as like something to win the competitive arms race, I mean, it has to bank on the other people's business model essentially failing, and it looks like that's in the process of happening. But it's not like it's you know imminent. It's not like all these schools are making less money than they were a year ago, right? So, no, that's true. It's uh and. Uh, you know, another go back to our buddy John Wilner. I'd love to see more data on what the ratings are for the regional networks. And so, I mean, he, his piece basically said you can't get this information anywhere. The Pac-12 won't release it. They they guard it. Um, but the, he got some stuff that leaked out. And if it wasn't football or basketball, and there were some some football and basketball that did pretty well. Uh, as far as rating numbers go, everything else was like a zero, like anything else they looked at that wasn't football or basketball. So it's great that you're seeing uh, a field hockey game that's live, but it costs a lot of money to produce that because you got to have crews and all that stuff doing that, and nobody's watching it. So there's their contract has all these live sporting events that have to be in there, but there's no real – it's just you're basically saying we're putting all these live events out there but you're not getting anything out of it. There's not a lot of people watching it. So, um, you know, you can write the greatest novel, but if no one can read it, then, you know, who cares? So they, they might have great production value and all that. And, you know, who knows, but nobody's watching it, Dave. So it just seems like even 
even with 100% ownership, I just don't think what you're producing is what people want to consume. Yeah. Well, yeah, 100%. You're completely right on. And I mean, the I'll just end with this. I mean, the, the same things that make the Pac-12 so good at all those Olympic sports. I mean, part of it is that, you know, the Pac-12 is largely the only conference that consistently offers a lot of these Olympic sports. But a bigger part of it is uh, the Pac-12 attracts talent. There's a lot of cool places to go in the Pac-12. Uh, you can go to Los Angeles. You can go to the Bay Area. You can go to Salt Lake City. You can go to Denver. You can go to the, you know, Arizona schools. Phoenix is nice. Tucson's great. Uh, you know, go up to Oregon. It's really pretty. Seattle's great. It's there's not a problem of attracting talent. Um, what the problem is is bad strategic management, and I think on the, and that's from the Pac-12 perspective. You know, just what they've done with the network, but also, you know, not forcing football to go to an eight-game conference schedule or forcing them to schedule weaker non-conference opponents or whatever the like basic most obvious fixes are to like fix the competitive issue. Um, not implementing those and then the universities not doing a good enough job of managing their athletic programs too much of too much of the you know the university focuses not on football and basketball which okay yeah it sounds crazy for a school like stanford or a school like ucla you know with these pie in the sky academic dreams and all these kinds of things to you know focus over much on football and basketball but i mean it just it stands to reason when you're doing better at both of those sports, alumni giving goes up. All these different things are beneficial to the university and universities are doing, you know, Stanford's obviously doing a great job. I shouldn't even throw them in there, but UCLA, you know, you've got to commit to that if you want to be a, a you know, a big time um, school in a lot of respects, not just uh, in athletics. I'm rambling now, but I think the Pac-12 <laughs> was very mismanaged. Yeah. Um, so if you guys have questions or comments, I, you know, I forgot to mention this at the top, um, but we'd love to hear from you on this. I think we saw there was a bunch of tweets, but you can tweet us at Pac-12 Podcast or email us. And we got a bunch of questions today. So maybe we'll talk about this a little bit more. I haven't looked at all the questions yet, but Pac-12 Podcast at gmail.com, our website. And someone asked me about this, like, hey, I think someone on the Peristyle asked me, like, we love that the, the show about... Um, what, you know, the Washington schools, where are the other ones? So if you ever need to find them, you know, old episodes, pack12podcast.com. We list them all there in our blog. And then if you want to leave a voicemail, uh, you can do that too by calling 641-715-3900, extension 734-972. And we did get a voicemail today. We will play. And uh, we're on iTunes. So subscribe. I think Dave might have a couple of things to read. Oh, yes. Uh, real quick, though, we had um, a tweet. From Andrew, he's, uh, let's see, that's a P-Dog something. Um, he said, yes, the Pac-12 the Pac podcast is finally on Stitcher Radio. So I tried to add, we were on iTunes, I tried to add us to Google Play and some of the other ones, but Stitcher was one of them. So he said, thanks to Inside Troy and David Woods for making this possible. I frequently would binge listen to episodes weeks after they came out because I forgot to check the URL, but now I will stay uh, current. It's P-Dog uh, 20... It's P Dog two oh six. Sorry, is, there you uh, go. He wrote that. So, um, yeah, thanks P Dog uh, for that. I'm glad we're on Stitcher. Yeah, so hopefully you can find them all now. We tried to to move them out to you know add ourselves to all those different uh, Pac twelve. I mean, all the different podcasting uh, formats. Cool. Oh yeah, we do have uh, two new reviews. I'll read one of them. Um, this is on iTunes where we still have a perfect five star rating. You guys should all leave reviews. Um, 
And this is from Tracer121212. Great podcast. It's what I listen to when I should be working. I'm a 911 operator. <laughs> Very good. We like that. That's good. We like that kind of commitment. That is pretty awesome. Thank you for the uh, the review, and you know, please answer calls. I mean, if it's a really good part of the show, maybe wait a little bit, but don't 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 wait too long to answer the call. Exactly. All right. Should we? What should we do next? Should we get to our spring recaps, or should or should we should we answer some questions? What do you want to do? Let's uh, let's talk some spring ball. You want to do that? All right. Okay. Let's do it. Um. All right. Well, should we? Why don't we just start in the south like we normally do? Mm-hmm. Um, or we don't always do that, but just, you know, sometimes we do that. And, uh, I guess we could just do USC and UCLA first. Yeah, let's do it. Okay. So, uh, USC spring mm-hmm. ball started March 6th. That was a Tuesday. They had one week of practices. They did Tuesday, Thursday. They were going to do Saturday. They moved it to Friday because of rain and they're going to end on the spring game Saturday April 14th will be at noon and all of the spring games this year for the first time will be uh on Pac-12 network. Now some of them will just be like an hour like a practice. I think Washington and USC are just doing like practices, not really games, but you'll be able to see uh you know the conclusion of spring football at least an hour's worth on the Pac-12 network for all schools. So that's pretty cool. Um USC's pro day is actually tomorrow. I'll try to list where everyone's pro days are too. It's uh March 21st. Um, it's supposed to rain here though. So it's going to be a rainy week here in, in Southern California. So only one week of spring ball so far. Uh, the big question is who's going to take over for Sam Darnold. Um, there's Matt Fink, who is a redshirt sophomore and, uh, he's kind of been the, the leader in the clubhouse. He's the only one with experience and big then, arm, big arm, big, yeah, big, strong arm. Uh, <laughs> Jack Sears, uh, who is Sam Darnold's backup at San Clemente high school. He's a redshirt freshman. They've been competing uh, we only got to see him twice. Uh, so this was weird. I don't know if you ever had this happen, Dave. Um, Andrew Voorhees, who played last year as a true freshman on the offensive line for USC, got married on Friday before spring break. So him and Jack Sears, who happened to be in the wedding party, did not attend practice. Uh, it was supposed to be Saturday, so they probably wouldn't have missed practice, but they moved practice to Friday when his wedding was. So a couple of the players wow. missed uh, for the wedding. But we haven't seen, got to see a whole lot. Um you know, really just one day that was in shoulder pads and a bunch of people weren't there. They're coming back this week. They took a week off for spring break. I don't necessarily like that where they do one week and then take a week yeah. off. I'd like to like kind of do the whole thing together. But, you know, I haven't seen a whole lot. Uh, it should be a much deeper team. Uh, there's, I think they'll be deeper on defense. Some, some you know, kind of leaders to, to replace. There's not really a vocal leader. Like a, you could say like a Chris Hawkins from last year uh, on defense. Um, you know, he'd make plays and he was kind of like the, the mouthpiece. We'll see if Cameron Smith or Porter Gustin, who was out most of last year, if those guys, you know, they're seniors, but you know, will they be kind of step up into this like vocal leadership role? We'll have to, to wait and see. And of course the quarterback and, and really they, they didn't have a lot of running backs. I think the first day they had one running back that was on scholarship. Um, you know, Ronald Jones left for the NFL. He'll probably be a fairly high pick. And they had a couple injuries and stuff. Uh, Stephen Carr is out for the spring. He was he's the heir apparent to Ronald Jones. So probably not going to get a whole lot of information on the running backs this spring. Uh, you should get a lot on the quarterbacks. And then, you know, it'll change once JT Daniels arrives in the fall. So not a whole lot so far happening in spring. And, and the main thing you're going to want to watch is the quarterbacks. Planning a wedding. If you're a football player, wouldn't you plan that? 
for like May <laughs> or June or July, any of these three months? I, you know, I don't know the details. I did a, a podcast with Harvey Hyde. He was not, uh, he was, he was a more of an old school kind of coach, you know, like, and a lot of people call him like a get off my lawn kind of guy, um, which, you know, I can see he wasn't real happy with it either. I thought it was weird that, you know, if he scheduled it for the Friday before spring break, then maybe the honeymoon was going to be spring break. Like that's how it was going to work out. Like that kind of would make some sense. But for the coach on Thursday to move the practice from Saturday to Friday, uh, maybe that maybe yeah, just keep it Saturday because one of our players' weddings, <laughs> one of the starters, and oh, but the backup quarterback who's trying to compete with Matt Fink, um, they're not going to be able to go to practice. Like, yeah, maybe just hold the practice Saturday if it's raining a little bit, you know, whatever. Uh, so I thought there were some weird decisions there. I don't know. I'm not like all in like I'm not going to blame the player. Like, you want to get married? Like, go right ahead. But it seemed like he planned it out okay, but then they moved practice and it kind of screwed him. Well, like. Uh- Okay. Yeah. I mean, sure. I don't know. It's I don't weird. Know. I'm, you know, I, I don't want to like throw criticism at a player for doing that, but yeah, maybe do it. No, 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 no. I, I, I just, I, I, it just, it struck me funny. It yes. struck me funny. Something's weird. Something doesn't seem right. Like that, that seems a little strange. I don't know. I'm not going to blame anybody or anything, but that just seems no, like no, a no, weird just, situation. That's interesting. Um, well, that's cool. Um, UCLA also started on March 6th. Um, they got in six, practices and then they're taking a two-week break uh, for finals because UCLA is on a quarter system and then spring break and then they'll start up again in April um, and go for another couple of weeks um, and get in their 15 practices and then they'll have a spring game after that. um, So UCLA kind of um, somewhat of a mirror image of USC in terms of the quarterback competition. Um, UCLA trying to find the replacement for Josh Rosen um Devon Modster uh who started some games last year has taken a lot of the number 1 reps um he's being challenged by Matt Lynch um as well as Austin Burton nobody's really stood out so far um KJ Carter Samuels who's a grad transfer from Washington is coming in for the second half of spring that's the beauty of the quarter system is they can bring in some of these guys for uh spring quarter um and so he'll be able to compete for the job um, and since Monster is not really running away from it, running away with it, um, Carter Samuels could absolutely come in and uh, and seize it, especially with um, some time to learn the system in the spring. Um, it's also been a, I mean, it's a hugely different system. Um, Chip Kelly brought in at UCLA. Um, it's kind of what everyone's saying. You know, I'm 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 basically giving you the bro report here. Um but it's uh, the tempo is much like it was that first year under Mora where they had Noel Mazzoni coming in and, and he brought in that up-tempo offense. It's uh, like that, but faster. Um, and, you know, in a huge upset, Chip Kelly has actually opened his practices. So all the reporters and fans can come and watch. Um, that was not a hallmark of uh, Chip Kelly's time at Oregon, where it was maybe the most secretive program in the Pac-12. Um and so people are seeing the tempo up close, and it's been really impressive. Uh, but they've got a lot of work to do. Um, the offensive line does not look great. They've moved Boss Tagaloa, who started last year at defensive tackle. He's now basically the first-string center on offense, and wow. he hasn't he hasn't snapped a ball since high school. I, I don't even know if he snapped a ball in high school. I think he was playing tackle in high school. So when he was on offensive line, he was playing offensive tackle. So this is basically his first real-time 
um, snapping the ball and they're doing stuff out of both under center and shotgun snaps. So that's as anybody who's ever watched a, a center have to practice that that's going to be a work in progress for a while. Um, but they just don't have a lot of depth in the offensive line. They've got, you know, maybe eight scholarship guys available. Um, and it's just not a great situation. Um, so they're going to have to, uh, step it up pretty quickly. Um, and then defensively, um, UCLA is moving back to a 3-4 after spending the last couple of years as a 4-3. Um, they have a bunch of defensive linemen who are probably even better suited for a 3-4 than a 4-3. So there's some reason for optimism there. They moved tight end Moses Robinson Carr to uh, the 4-I defensive tackle, defensive end in a 3-4. And he's been really, really impressive um, through the start of spring ball. Um, not too many other takeaways. Mike Juarez has flashed a little bit. Um, you know, he's had a couple of years where he's really taken some time to get, you know, kind of acclimated to a college program. He's had some struggles of his own, but he's, um, he's getting his weight down and, uh, appears to be, um, you know, playing a little bit closer to that, uh, level he was expected to be at, um, coming out of high school. Um, but other than that, I mean, it's, it, they, they went, I mean, the first five practices they were basically doing just two hand touch and a lot of teaching periods because they've just got so much to install and learn. Um, the first real pads full contact practice was this past Saturday, and then they broke for spring for uh, for finals and then spring break. So not huge amount of like scheme and personnel notes at this point. Um, it's more just, you know, Chip Kelly obviously coming in and installing his own stuff. Um, yeah. And just so people know, the spring game will be April 21st, 10 a.m. Pacific. So you can see that on Pac-12 Network. And uh, the pro day was uh, Thursday, March fifteenth. So we they, we already had it. it seemed yep. like Josh Rosen uh, did pretty well. Yeah, he threw well. Um, uh, reportedly better than he threw at um, the combine. Um, he didn't do any of the testing stuff, and a bunch of former Bruins were there as well, um, trying for one last shot, like guys like Ishmael Adams and and others who graduated um, last year, not this past year. Um, but uh, yeah. You know, we'll see where we'll see where Rosen goes. We'll be covering we'll be covering the draft extensively. Yeah. If you remember, Ryan, our first set of shows when we first started doing this was immediately after the NFL draft, and we just kept asking, you know, the different publishers about uh, all their different draft classes. Oh yeah, we did Basically. that. I don't know, I don't know if we're gonna do that this year. Maybe we can get some updates like we're doing today. So we actually heard from all the other publishers today about spring football too. Maybe we'll do that as well. I don't know. That'd be fun. Or we could get an expert, you know, we could get like a Daniel Jeremiah or someone come on and, and talk about That'd be the, fun too. Um yeah, I like the draft stuff. Um yeah. but you know, it's it's always weird. It's always a crapshoot. You don't really know. Uh but you know, there's a lot of Pac twelve players involved near the top. Uh Rosen and Darnold, you know, all, all those kind of guys. So um, you know, Vita Vea and stuff, like people that really kind of wowed uh folks at the combine. So yeah, it might be some interesting things we could do. Cool. What was it been like? So with the open practices, like with the fans kind of getting into it? No. And apparently the most like populated practice was really this past Saturday. But before that, it was not a not actually too many people out there um, during the weekday practices, which you might understand. Um, and, you know, they're, I think they're mostly morning practices that so can be tough for people. Yeah. Um, but uh, the Saturday one was a little bit more of a packed house. UCLA doesn't have the setup anymore that really easily allows for huge groups of fans. They used to have like stands and there was enough space on the field. But now with the new Wasserman football facility um, 
kind of that area where people used to stand and also sit in bleachers is just, I mean, it's basically just team space now. Um, so there really isn't a good spot. So they actually have to stand on a parking lot, just kind of on the deck of a parking lot, looking over the field, which is cool in its own right. You get a better perspective, but it doesn't allow for quite as many people. And I think, you know, a lot of people who are more casual, I mean, how casual are you if you're going out to watch a practice? But a lot of the more casual of the crazies probably would be just like, nah, I'm not going to bother because it's kind of a pain in the butt now. It's funny when people get so secretive and like the USC too, there's been like, you know, there's a handful of people out there. I don't know, like a few dozen or something at most. It wasn't, there's not been a ton and they get so worried about oh, opening or close. It's like, you know, there's just not that people are going to come anyway. Just let them, you know, if people want to come, let them come. You know, it's not, I don't see the harm in it. Yeah. And Jim, <laughs> I've always, um, whenever a coach starts to get embattled or like is starting to feel like his job is, you know, under fire or whatever, I've seen them, especially at UCLA, get more and more secretive over time because they start focusing on all these extraneous details that don't actually matter. Like, oh, no, too many people are watching our practices or writing the wrong things about our practices. And that's what's, you know, making us lose games like Jim Mora got crazy about it towards the end of his tenure where, you know, he wanted a big black screen put in front of the Luskin Center, which is the hotel that overlooks the field so that people couldn't rent rooms and then look down at the practice field and. You know, he closed practices to the media so that media couldn't come watch practice after the first 20 minutes or whatever and all this stuff. And it was progressively as the team got worse, it seemed like more restrictions were put in place. And it was kind of the same thing, you know, with with New Isola and Durrell, where they both started focusing more on like the media coverage than actual results on the field. They started getting more concerned about that stuff. Um, and I think it's a sign of, you know, more or less coaching insecurity from these guys. I think the ones who are you know, Clay Helton doesn't care, and he's winning Rose Bowls. So, what does it matter? Yeah. Um, all right. Should we? You want to go to the Mountain Schools? Sure. Sure. Um, we're just going to skip over the great state of Arizona and get back to it. Oh, we could. Um, well, I mean, we're not. I mean, skipping. whatever you want. Whatever you want. You I know? just happened to pull up the Mountain Schools next, so we could do that. But we don't have to. Sure. Let's um, do it. You, you do Colorado. All do right. It. So we'll start with Colorado. They were uh, five and seven last year. Uh, their pro day was March 7th. Uh, they started spring football February 23rd, and they are already done. They finished the spring game. I think I recorded this on the Pac-12 Network. Uh, March 17th uh, was the spring game. So I think, I don't know how long it was, but I put it in. I think it was two hours on there. So I, I haven't looked at it yet, but I wanted to. So I will. I'll check that out. Um, I'll read uh, our buddy Adam Munster Tiger uh, wrote this up sent it to us, so we'll read what he has to say, and then we can talk about it a little bit. He said, even though spring does not officially begin in the northern hemisphere, <laughs> hemisphere until Tuesday, the Buffaloes are wrapping up their spring ball with uh, three practices this week. And strangely, they already concluded their spring game. Oh, I'm sorry. So, th th I'm sorry. I'll just read what Adam has to say. Strangely, they already concluded their spring game this past Saturday. So, they still have spring practices this week. It's not over this week. My fault. Um but it will – they had the spring game last Saturday. Is that confusing enough? I guess it's, it confused me. So we'll go for that. For the that was beautiful. I thought you really articulated it I all very well. I completely bought that. I didn't read this before. I just assumed the spring game was the last game. That threw me off. And here we are. Okay, for the third year in a row, while working with the first-team offense, Steven Montez had an up-and-down spring game. He threw picks on back-to-back -back throws midway through the scrimmage. So that was not a good look. 
are for now one of the most experienced quarterbacks in the conference. But Montez did bounce back with a long rushing touchdown and two throwing scores to receiver. Uh, it's LaVisca Chenault, I believe. Is that you think I says his name? Close enough. That's pretty close. Who averaged 22.7 yards on 10 touches as a true freshman last fall. I do remember seeing him a little bit. Perhaps the biggest news to come out of the spring game is the fact that uh, Jake Moretti, the Buffs prize signee from the 2017 class, participated with the first-team offensive line at left tackle. After suffering a torn ACL while warming up for the Ohio State camp, for, for an Ohio State camp 21 months ago, uh, Moretti had nerve issues in his leg, and there was a brief period of time where his football career was in jeopardy. Left tackle and the offensive line as a whole is one of the Buffs' biggest question marks going into 2018. So Moretti getting healthy is big news. His uh, He's the best offensive line prospect the state of Colorado has produced in the 15 years I've covered recruiting in this state. Depth at some spot, some spots, including safety, and on the defensive line, remain concerns for the remain concerns for the Buffaloes. All right, interesting. Yeah, so they still have practices this week. There'll be three of them. Um, so they've got twelve of the fifteen down, but they had their spring game on Saturday, which I don't remember that happening before. But you know, whatever. It might maybe it's a TV schedule thing with the Pac-12 Network. I don't know. Yeah, it is interesting. But they're going to be so. done, and and some people haven't started yet. So that's kind of interesting. That is. Full nuts. All right, so we're Utah. Utah, this is from our man uh, Dan Sorensen, publisher of Ute Zone. Uh, Utah has had two weeks of spring practice, but is off this week for spring break. Uh, the big storyline in camp thus far has been the quarterbacks. Starting quarterback Tyler Huntley has looked sharp running the offense so far. He's put on 10 pounds, which theoretically could help him stave off injury. True freshman Jack Tuttle is in camp and looks like he's all that was advertised. He's still adjusting to the speed of the game, but he looks like a star in the making. Utah's defensive line has also impressed. It's a position where the Utes seem to reload every year, and this year looks no different. Uh, Likai Fotu and Bradley Anae, Anae have both been especially promising. I don't know why I ever volunteer for Utah, because it seems like they have more <laughs> names that are difficult for me to pronounce. Colorado too, so that's but Utah. Utah's the worst as far as yeah, that. yeah. Uh, my my poor tongue just cannot handle it. Um, so that was that was you know brief, but um, but, but interesting. You know, Tyler Huntley um, obviously banged up a lot of last year, so for him to put on ten pounds and hopefully um, keep himself from getting hurt this year, uh, that's huge. You know, he's potentially. You know, we talked a lot about him last year. He's potentially one of the top returning quarterbacks in the league this year yeah. so very good to have him uh looking a little bit more a little bit less likely to get injured this year and i think people will start hearing jack tuttle's name uh i mean he was someone that usc was you know potentially trying to go after later on but he was all all utah 100 percent, and looked i mean every time i saw him he looked good so i don't know if you got to see him much dave but he was always impressive for me for sure uh they so utah started on march 6th um, and their spring game is on April 14th. I don't think they listed a time as of yet, but um, so that should be on the Pac-12 Network. And they're just day, all day, all day, just all day, full day of spring game, um, 24 hours, baby. And then uh, the pro day is on March uh, 29th. So they're uh, kind of doing. So I, I kind of like what Utah's doing and UCLA's doing. Like if you have a break, I would rather like have two weeks or three weeks and then take a break as opposed to like. USC does one week and then it's like take a break. It's like eh, just start later. Like I don't know. I think that's weird. 
Yeah, that does strike me as strange. I mean, I, I, I yeah, I don't know why that would, I, I don't know what's beneficial about that. Why wouldn't you just start after break then? Yeah, I'm not sure. Yeah, crazy. But they've been doing that for a while, so whatever. Um, okay, should we move on to the uh, desert schools? Let's do it. Am I doing ASU? You're doing ASU, and I'm doing the U of A. Okay, so Arizona State started spring football Tuesday, March 13th. The spring game, and they, they, they pack it in one month, so April 13th at 7 p.m. Mountain Time on the Pac-12 Network. So that's on a Friday, so there'll be a Friday night spring game uh, for mm-hmm. ASU. Uh, their pro day was on uh, March 14th, so they had it five days ago or so. We're recording this on Monday. Uh, March 19th. Okay, so Chris Cartman, our buddy from Sun Devil Source, said, ASU is three practices in. So that's two helmets, only practices, and one in shells, just the shoulder pads and stuff. There's been no tackling yet. They'll scrimmage live for the first time on Tuesday, so that's tomorrow. So far, it's been adjusting to the new coaching staff and how practices are to be executed and learning the schemes and techniques that are being taught. It's still very early on in the process, and coaches are getting a feel for their players in terms of who fits where from a position standpoint and what they are capable of doing within the scheme. An early standout has been Jay Wilson. I think that's how you pronounce that. No, it's it's JJ Wilson, uh, who switched (laughs) last season to linebacker from tight end and is now looking like a potential star player going into his senior year. Uh, Jalen Harvey, who was a top three in every recruiting category, I'm sorry, in every receiving category for ASU last season, Decided he wanted to play safety as a senior because he thinks he has higher upside at that position projecting to the NFL. So Interesting. Yeah. Um, this is, so similar, I guess, to UCLA probably, Dave, right, where you're kind of learning what this coaching staff wants you to do as far as practice goes. Yeah. Oh, I'm sure. Um, but that's a really interesting move for Jalen Harvey. I'm, I'm really interested to see if that works out. Yeah, he was, uh, safety, he was. And really I wonder good. if that was recommended by the staff, or if that was personally. Maybe we have follow-ups for Cartman about this one. Yeah, well, th- I mean, he said that he decided he wanted to play because uh, that's where his upside is for potential in the NFL. But I wonder if really that's the case, yeah. or if the coaches asked him to. Um, yeah, because it's always interesting when this happens because you'll hear it one way from maybe the player, and then you'll hear later on. You know, like the Anthony Barr situation, which is, you know, he had it as, oh, I really wanted to try out linebacker originally. And then it turns out that the staff was like, hey, you should really make this move because this is where you would play in the NFL. You're not going to be a running back in the NFL. Um, And, you know, the Boss Tagaloa thing flipping over to center, that was a coaching staff um, recommended move. Um, So I'd I'd be interested to see what the what the shakeout was with Jalen. Yeah. Um, real quick for you know, switching to Tucson for Arizona. So they actually start today, uh, March 19th. Their spring game is scheduled for Saturday, April 14th, 7 p.m. Mountain time on the Pac-12 network. And they already had the pro day was March 12th. Cool. All right. So U of A, this is from our man, Jason Shear. Uh, Arizona begins spring practice tonight. And the main question, so this is, Tonight, like literally Monday, what day is it? March 19th. 19th? Yeah. Wow. Uh, Arizona begins spring, t- spring practice tonight, and the main question is basically how everything is going to look. 
It's the Kevin Sumlin era, and a lot is going to change in terms of how personnel is used. Khalil Tate is the only decent quarterback on the roster right now, so we don't even know if there is a true number two for the spring. Offensively, Arizona is going to use more receivers and throw more than last season, so it will be interesting to see how this passing game looks and how Noel Mazzoni coaches a quarterback that is so used to making reads and running. Defensively, Marcel Yates is going to have more of a say in what Arizona will do. We're unsure of how different things will look, but the Wildcats went out and got numerous defensive linemen and players for the secondary. I have a feeling that the majority of positions on defense are up for grabs. You know, I, I think I made this point before, but Noel Mazzoni, um, he made Brock Osweiler look good, and he made Brett Hundley look good, and those two quarterbacks are extremely different. So I'm pretty damn confident he's going to make Khalil Tate look pretty damn good. Yeah, I think so. And, and you know, everyone knew Khalil Tate as a runner, but you saw the bowl game. I think it was five. He had five touchdown passes, I think, and they were all, like, long. Um giving him a little bit more leash to kind of throw the football around the yard. Uh, that could make his runs even more dynamic. Oh, you yeah. Know? So I'm curious to see what they do. I, it's, I, I don't know. There's some people that are like, ah, Arizona's not going to be that good. They had such a young core last year. New coaching staff coming in, the, the star quarterback returning, uh, potentially with a, you know, a different, maybe better suited offense for him. We'll see. Um, I, you know, there's, there's a lot of optimism, I think, in Tucson for this year. I don't know what you think, Dave, but there, there's some potential for it. Well, I'm curious to see how the rest of you know, the spring plays out, but it could be really cool. Yeah, I mean, they return a lot. Um, it's just going to be, you know, how, how big of a leap do those guys make? But there's certainly, uh, there's certainly the, the, the right mix of pieces, I think, for them to be better than they were last year, which in a weird Pac-12 where USC might take a step back if Sam Darnold's replacement doesn't you know immediately catch fire um you know utah we'll see what happens with them they're generally pretty good but i mean i think this comp the 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 south seems wide open you know we got this question of what was it a few weeks ago where they're like stop talking about arizona's potential contender but i i think they are i mean i wouldn't say they're the favorite by any means but i think they're in that mix yeah i would think so i mean you know that one what was it 2015 where they won the south yeah, kind of coming out of nowhere. I mean, who knows? Like, I mean, there's that potential. So, I mean, I've mentioned that to some people, and some people are like, "Yeah, I could see it," and then other people are like, "No way, man! Arizona's not going to be that good." So we'll see. I kind of think, I just kind of think there'll be someone that you know beats a team or two that maybe you don't think they should, but they they could you know be in that mix. So yeah, for sure. Uh, right. Bay Area schools. Yeah, you want me to do? I'm Stanford, right? Yeah. Okay. You want to do Stanford first, then I'll do Cal. Sure, we'll do that. Um. So Stanford started spring also in February, uh, February 27th, but they don't end until April 14th. So the, the spring game, wow. uh, yeah, so that's a long spring. Um, April 14th, Saturday, April 14th, 1 p.m. Pacific will be on Pac-12 Network. Uh, Pro Day's coming up uh, Thursday, March 22nd. So a couple of those, you know defensive players you could kind of take a look at. Um, all right, so RJ Abadia from the bootleg wrote in, he said, Stanford Spring has become one of the most peculiar and limited opportunities maybe ever. Depending on the day and the count, the Cardinal is missing upwards of 30 players to injury, and that's with the reduced spring rosters since seniors are gone for the most part and the freshmen have not arrived. The headliners among the missing are, of course, quarterbacks K.J. Costello and David Mills, who have left the Cardinal with literally no one available uh, on scholarship to start a quarterback 
on the roster. Walk-ons slinging Jack Richardson. I don't know if that's his official name, but that's what uh, RJ is calling him. Who, by all accounts, has stepped up and performed uh, admirably this spring, though it's clearly Costello's show when he comes back uh, for fall camp. Bryce Love is among those not hurt, but he's on his usual limited participation diet for practices. Coach David Shaw says Love may get some contact reps during Stanford's second season, which begins the week of April 8th uh, and ends uh, that Saturday with the Cardinal and White quote-unquote game. It's largely been an offense-slash-defense scrimmage for the last few years now, but uh, it'll be curious to see how Stanford handles having just one guy able to call signals on that day. Yeah, how do you do that? Like with, I don't know. It's gonna be hard <laughs> to have any kind of game. <laughs> yeah, that's gonna be fun. Um, I I don't know. Like, uh, I I guess we had this talk with RJ a little bit, but I, I just don't know how you can have effective and like a really good spring without your starting quarterbacks. I guess like everyone else gets work, but when you're not getting a, getting it against a D one arm. I don't know, or with a D1 arm. Like, are, are your receivers getting really effective work when walk-ons are throwing the ball? I don't know. Yeah, strange. Yeah. Cal. Cal. Cal begins its 10-2 and two run right here, right now. All right, uh, this is from our man Ryan Gorsey. Cal begins spring practice today, so again, Monday, uh, without one of the most intriguing options at defensive end, defensive end, Zionde Johnson, and without defensive backs Evan Rambo and Elijah Hicks, the latter of whom had a breakout true freshman season. What the Brewers will have, though, is a pair of some of the most explosive receivers in the conference in a healthy Demetrius Robertson and Melkis Stovall. Stovall played just a handful of snaps in one game last season, while Robertson missed all but two games after season-ending surgery to correct a nagging injury. Cal's running back room got thinner by two as both Trey Watson, the starter before an injury against Weber State, brought Patrick Laird to the forefront, and Zion Eccles have transferred. But the Bears do still have Laird as well as Derek Clark and the 2016 Nevada Gatorade State Player of the Year in Biagio Ali Walsh waiting in the wings. I expect to see them get a lot of run this spring. The quarterback spot is once again open for competition as last season's incumbent, Ross Bowers, will have to fend off newly eligible South Carolina transfer Brandon McIlwain, as well as redshirt freshman Chase Garbers. McIlwain brings a lot of new options for the offense since he can use his legs as a weapon. Given what offensive coordinator Bo Baldwin did with Vernon Adams, that's a very intriguing addition. Cal brings in four early enrollees in German offensive tackle Jasper Fries. Cornerback Chigozi Anusium, junior college edge defender Lona Toailoa, and Juco linebacker Colt Dowdy. Nice. All right. He gave you a lot of names there. I got a lot. I got a lot to pronounce there. There it's was long sentence. I think you did really well. There was really a lot of well. work to do there. Yeah. I think you did really well, especially at the end of like a long read. Like, I don't want to pronounce the name. It's just. <laughs> no, yeah. Don't give me, don't give me like Chigozi Anusium at the end of a long read. What are you doing? <laughs> or a German name? Like, I'm prepared for, like, Samoan names at this point. Like, I can handle that. But you're throwing German at me? <laughs> get out of here with this. Is it seems um, like Cal Cal needs to, like, get a freshman start at quarterback one year and just let him stay for a while. It just seems like there's a new quarterback every year. Does that does that seem right to you? Pretty much. And there's they need to get rid of Ross Bowers because I will never look at his name and not want to say Russ. <laughs> I keep wanting to call him Russ Bowers, and it's not that way. Um, cause Russ seems like more of a quarterback's name, doesn't it? Yeah. yeah. Than Ross. Ross is from friends. 
Um, yeah. You look kind of like Ross. You really? You get that? No, I haven't got that. I get, would get Seinfeld sometimes or uh, Adam yeah, You definitely Sandler. got the Seinfeld thing going. I was just thinking, you know, you, uh, maybe not. Maybe not. Maybe not a David Schwimmer, but definitely a Seinfeld thing. I would get Sandler sometimes too. Like, I don't know what. Strange. Mm. Um, yeah, I could see that too. Interesting. Yeah, the but I I don't know much about uh, Brandon McElwain, so that'll be interesting to kind of see what he's able to do. Yeah. Um, I mean, Ross Bowers was – he was a gamer last year. He had that crazy somersaulting, you know, touchdown at one point. Yeah, um, like he did he, in high school too. So yeah, he wasn't great. Like he wasn't great throwing the ball, um, but he had some moxie to him. So that was, um, that was an element for them. Uh, Chase Garbers, you know, some people liked him out of high school, so he's an option. But um, I don't know. Does that look like the makeup of a ten and two squad to you? No, I mean I like I like Robinson and Stovall. I think they can be uh, you know, exciting players and Patrick Laird was a stud last year and they'll have, you know. Sure. Um I think there's some potential. I mean, they were 5 and 7, 2 and 7 in conference. I don't see the optimism to get to 10 wins, but I could see becoming a bowl eligible team for sure. Yeah, yeah, I, I think I could see them doing the doing the palindrome, you know, go to 7 and 5, 8 and 4. Yeah. I could see that. Look at your palindroming it. Nice. Yeah, you like that? That was the word of the day. <laughs> All right, should we go to uh, the state of Oregon? Let's do it. All right, so I have the Beavs. They were they were not as good. I, if they could palindrome, that'd be pretty awesome because they were <laughs> one eleven and zero and nine. So they would be in the playoff, I would think. Um, so Angie Machado from BeaverBlitz.com. She's a great publisher there. Uh, they start. Not yet. Uh, they start April fourth, so spring has not started in uh, in in Corvallis. Their spring game, but they're gonna they're gonna wrap it up quickly, Dave. Their spring game is Saturday, April twenty eighth. So wait, wait. So they're going from the fourth to the twenty eighth. Yes, unless unless are they, for... are they practicing every day? <laughs> what are they doing? <laughs> Almost um, four p.m. Pacific on the Pac twelve network, and their uh, pro day was uh, this past Friday, Friday March sixteenth. So pro day's over. April will be packed in Corvallis with spring football. So she wrote, uh, Oregon State doesn't start spring camp for two weeks, but the major storylines will be around the entirely new staff and their evaluation of the current team and who will win the Beavers quarterback position. Uh, Jake Luton. Did we say Luton or Luton? I forget. I think we said Luton. Luton. I think it was just Jake Luton. Um, he's back after suffering uh, thoracic spine, spine thoracic. fracture. Thoracic. Thoracic. Okay, there's a so, okay. Thoracic spine fracture in game four last season. However, we've heard that he's not 100% heading into camp. That could open the door for JC transfer Jack Coletto from Arizona Western, who will be ready to go come the start of spring football. And it's interesting. Um, uh, do you remember what was the Marcus McMarion? Do you remember that name? Yeah, I do. So he transferred to Fresno State. They went ten and four. <laughs> That's pretty good. So um, he—I don't know what you thought of him there, but he did. I pre- always thought McMarion was pretty good, actually. Yeah, he uh, he did pretty well uh, in Fresno. So, but they, you know they're going to try to figure things out. We both like Jake Luton. What he uh, Luton? Why am I keep saying that? Um, when we saw him, he, he looked like he was pretty good. Yeah, and I think you buried the lead again, which is the dude broke his back last year. Yeah, <laughs> like. I don't want. I mean, I, I don't want like uh, fracture and spine ever being in the same sentence. 
Um, with and thoracic. I'm sure like the actual doctors is like, oh, thoracic compression is nothing. Um, but man, uh, yeah, if that's that seems like a semi-serious injury. So good, good for him that he's almost back. But wow. Yeah, that's gonna be that's gonna be tough. And it's a again new coaching staff, so is a lot of it just kind of teaching philosophies of how we want you to practice and all that. Um, you know, kind of looking for yourself at what these guys look like. It seems like it's more of a, an informational session where you're, the coaches are trying to figure things out more than like, you know, players getting better or doing, you know, learning this or learning that. I mean, they got to learn stuff, but yeah, I think the coaches really just kind of have to figure out what they have. Oh yeah. 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 And you're just trying to get as many reps in as possible and all that good stuff. Um, yeah, I don't know. So, the Beavs, they got to be able to bounce back somehow from uh, the pretty horrific season. <laughs> that was 2017. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see if they're able to. All right. Moving on to the Ducks. This is from uh, Steve Summers. Uh, the Oregon Ducks have begun spring workouts under new head coach Mario Cristobal. And the news about this spring is... The news about this spring is that Ducks is that the Ducks held five sessions in March and will complete the remaining ten sessions in April, culminating with the annual spring game on Saturday, April twenty fourth. The first five sessions began on March seventh and finished on March fourteenth. Cristobal has suggested that his team will be bigger and stronger, more in the vein of Alabama, where he has the offensive line, where he was the offensive line coach. There has been a noticeable emphasis on weight training by Cristobal's new strength coach team. While the Ducks lost running back Royce Freeman and offensive tackle Tyrell Crosby to the NFL, junior quarterback Justin Herbert is back, healthy, and happy working with his third offensive coordinator in three years. Yeah, so they started Wednesday, March 7th, and they will conclude Saturday, April 21st. So that's like almost two months, (laughs) 5 p.m. Pacific uh, on Pac-12 Network, and their pro day was March 15th. Yeah, and it, yeah, I'm guessing from this update that um, Oregon still doesn't have open practices because there's not a whole lot of meat on this bone. Um, Justin Herbert being happy and then also working with his third offensive coordinator in three years, those two sentiments do not seem to align perfectly to me. Um, like, if you had to, like, I don't know, what's a good analogy for that? Like, if you had to like relearn the basic functions of your job every year for three years, how happy would you be? Right. I think it would be, I think it would be tough. You know, if you felt comfortable though, I think with your position coach um, and the, you know, the, the way the offense is going, then maybe that would be okay. You know, it's, it's fine. You got a different offensive coordinator. Um, He would have to feel, I think you'd have to feel really comfortable with all the other aspects. Plus the weapons around you too. Um, He's, I mean, he's a potential superstar. I think he's going to determine how far Oregon goes this year. And, you know, having some continuity from the coaching staff from last year, maybe that helps. But like you said, it's going to be another offensive coordinator. They just can't, you just don't want to do anything that's going to limit this kid because he's the shoulders you're going to ride if this team is going to make a run at winning the Pac-12 North. Oh, 100%. Yeah, and I think he's... Yeah, I think he's going to do a good job, and I I, I imagine there's a little bit of continuity um, left over. But um, yeah, I mean, not ideal, not never an ideal situation. Um, and we'll see what kind of offense, what what this offense looks like if it's at all like the Taggart scheme. Whether they try to build in anything of their own, um, it didn't look great in the bowl game, but that was a kind of a funky situation. So we'll we'll see on all of that. Um, yeah. So. 
I get. Well, do you want to? Should we move on to? Let's move on to the Washingtons. The Washington schools. Uh, I guess I'll do. I'm doing Washington State, right? You are doing Wazoo. Barry Bolton from KookFan.com. His voice is so cool. Don't you like his voice? Oh, it's so good. Yeah, uh, very good voice. Um, so he came on our show. He was on our last show because we did our in-depth series on Washington, Washington State. So spring practice uh, has not started yet for the Cougs, March 22nd. So coming up this Thursday, Pro Day was a couple weeks ago, March 8th, and spring game will be April 28th. It's a Saturday, 3.30 p.m. Pacific time on the Pac-12 network. So he says, first practice for Washington State is Thursday. Big storylines include quarterback. None of the five have taken a snap for Washington State. So question is, if heralded true freshman Cameron Cooper can rise to the top, plus six new assistant coaches, including the new 10th assistant. So on defense, uh, 18 seniors uh, graduated from the two deep. So got to replace a lot of guys on defense. And he feels the inside linebackers uh, should be their strength. He also listed some of the coaches I'll, I'll talk about here. So linebackers, uh, Jeff Phelps, defensive line, Dave Nickel. Uh, and so, and uh, he doesn't mention, he said inside wide receivers. Or maybe I'm missing a linebacker coach. I mean, okay, I think Jeff Phelps is defensive line and Dave Nickel inside wide receivers. I think I skipped the, I think I didn't copy the linebacker uh, coach's name over, so I apologize for that. Uh, so they, those guys remain from last year. So they have the linebacker coach, defensive line coach, and inside wide receivers coach. Plus uh, Eric Mealy, who moves to running backs from special teams. With so many other new coaches, plus four returning starters on offense and five on defense, position battles figure to be both plentiful and ongoing. The new assistant coaches, so they have Tracy Clays, who's a defensive coordinator, Kendrick Shavers, safety and nickelbacks, are Darcel McBath, who's coaching the corners, Matt Brock, special teams and outside linebackers, Mason Miller, the offensive line, and Steve Spurrier Jr. coaching the outside receivers. Ooh. Yeah, there's a name. Got the heard bloodlines of. there. Yeah. So a lot of lot of coaches have changed. Uh, you know, losing uh, you know, defensive coordinator, one of the the best known in the Pac twelve. Uh so many seniors off the two deep on defense. I mean, there's there's a lot of turnover here uh on the Palouse. So it's gonna be a challenge, I think, for Mike Leach to kind of get everyone on the same page quickly and Start off the season not on a bad note. They didn't on, in 2017. They they started off five and zero, but the last couple years before that is when you know we, they'd lose a game or two. They shouldn't lose early. Yeah, yeah. That's uh, that kind of coaching staff turnover usually only happens when somebody you know when a head coach gets fired. So that's 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 something to that's going to be interesting. <laughs> you know, and his name came up. I mean, he was obviously talking to Tennessee, and there was other you know so. There was potential for Mike Leach to be gone, but a bunch oh, of his sure. staff is now gone. You know. Well, and it certainly sounds as if the Tennessee thing was more or less like almost happening, and then it got nixed. Um, <laughs> I'm sure your wife could weigh in on that one, but yeah, um, I think so. uh, you know it. Yeah, they had so much turmoil that they. It's basically like the CEO of the company was trying to hire somebody, and comes in for an interview, and you know he's going to hire the CFO or something, and. And then the CEO, the, the board kicks the CEO out. And so whoever you're going to hire is gone, you know? So, yeah, crazy. All right, UW? 
Yeah. Well, so I'll, I'll do it real quick. Washington, they start. Um, so I haven't started yet. March 28th. So I think it's the latest start. Um, or is it, was there one start? No, there's one starting in April, right? Uh, Oregon State, I think, started in April. Um, and the spring game will be April 21st at noon Pacific. The pro day was already, already happened March 10th. So it seems like most pro days are already over. Yeah. Do you realize what we forgot to do? What did we forget? Uh, sound effects. Dang it. We could have done all the sound effects. I'm sorry. Could, could have called it the Pac-12 Roundup. There was so many opportunities for the drops here. Um, <laughs> but anyway, this me, is the last bad. one, so let's just go for it. Um, this is from our man Chris Fetters. Uh, well, clearly a big UW storyline is how Jacob Eason looks after transferring from Georgia. He can't play this fall, but that isn't going to stop us from gawking at him. And also, which quarterback falls by the wayside because UW starts spring with six on scholarship? Six. One will pres- – yeah, I know. They, Can they, they loan share. a couple to Stanford? <laughs> share some, some with Stanford, <laughs> exactly. Uh, one will presumably get voted off the island in some way, shape, or form. And the crazy part is they already had one transfer in yeah. uh, KJ Card-Samuels. So that's nuts. Um, also, the less sexy headlines are going to be who steps up at receiver now that Dante Pettis is gone. Who will become the next pair of inside linebackers with the graduation of Azeem Victor and Keyshawn Bieria? And who will take the lead in the place-kicking job? All right. So, still remains to be seen with a lot of these things. But, yeah, I mean, I, watching the guys who transfer in but have to sit out a year is always kind of fun, especially when they're big-time guys. I don't know if you've had this experience recently, but um, Devin Asiasi at UCLA, I got to watch a couple of the practices last year, and... Uh, he was he was so dominant as a as a redshirt guy. Uh, it was it was a lot of fun to watch him, um, and I'm sure it's going to be uh, fun to watch Jacob Eason tearing up the uh, scout team this year for the UW people watching. That is one of the more fun things to report on when you know if you talk to so talk to defensive assistants because they're the ones that their their units are going against the scout team, and then you ask them like what Jacob Eason is like. So I like when Sam Darnold was redshirting and he was running the scout team. If you talk to the defensive assistants, I don't think a lot of them said it on the record because they didn't want to. But they, you know, you would talk to them afterwards. Actually, a bunch of those guys got fired because that was like the Clay Hilton. Yeah, uh, yeah. And I talked to them like after they were fired, and they were like, "Yeah, man, he's really good." So you can get some good insight on stuff like that. So it'd be curious to talk to some of the Washington defensive assistants. If I don't, I don't think Chris Pearson lets you do that. But you know, if Fetters wants to work his sources and talk to them. You can probably get some really good insight. You're like, oh, yeah, man, Jacob Eason's the real deal. Yeah. So that'll be cool. Nice. Uh, well, we could say that was our Pac-12 Roundup. What a failure. <laughs> what an absolute failure we are. I have a lot to do here. I'm sorry, Dave. I, I really apologize. I like the drops. and I, uh, I know. I know. I know. It's just it seems like you're failing more and more of late. <laughs> you're just you should... not. You're you not get holding a new up partner. your end of the bargain with this podcast, <laughs> with this show. I just don't know how much longer I can keep doing this. It's, I feel the weight of everything just on my shoulders. <laughs> you got to find a new partner, man. Maybe, I don't I know. know. Who could we do? Who would you Who would you partner up with if you had to dump me? I mean, obviously, Gorsi. Obviously, yes. I wouldn't have to change what I call him. We would just be. They would. It would just be Ryan and Dave. Still. Oh yeah, we could. Save a few yeah. electrons. I like that. There we go. There we go. We got it locked in. <laughs> you don't have to change all <laughs> We. It's funny because we talked about like it was getting kind of busy and like 
we talked about, well, maybe we could have some replacement hosts for a while. It's like, that's nah, not going to work. Like we if basically we have to do it or it's not happening. Yeah. And even when it's just us doing it, sometimes it still doesn't happen. Yeah. <laughs> like bringing in somebody extra into this mix really isn't going to help the situation at all. <laughs> Probably not. Um, awesome. Well, thanks to everyone. I'm glad everyone, uh, I mean, I literally just sent out an email this morning. So the fact that we got, I just sent a few texts too, but, um, we got updates from everybody. Um, that was cool. Not all the spring practices have started. We, we got to follow up with a couple of people there, especially yeah. Angie with, uh, how you put 15 practices in 12 days. I guess they're going to do two a days or something. I don't know. No, it's not, <laughs> but it's, it's like 20 some days, right? Like it's a lot. Yeah. I want to hear how, you know, how Stanford does with more practices than days available. It's going to be great. I'm excited. So we got questions too. Should we, we do have a voicemail. You want to start with that since that's our Let's favorite. Let's do the voicemail. All right. Here, I'll play the voicemail for you. Hey, guys. It's Anthony from L.A. I really enjoyed the deep dive series you just did. It was uh, You touched on this a bit when talking about Sean Miller and the Arizona podcast, but I was wondering what your personal opinions were on players being paid. Uh, there are a lot of people making a lot of money in college football, and all the players get is a few thousand dollars worth of a stipend and the cost of an education that is fairly overtly de-emphasized. Uh, for all the flack he got, Josh Rosen was absolutely right when he talked about the incompatibility of high-level sports and high-level academics. Um, I'm obviously in favor of them being paid, but I wanted to know your thoughts. Also, could you spell Hithliday Almond for those of us who don't get to read his great emails? driving me nuts thanks and fight on all right i'll, I'll start with spelling hithliday it's h-y-t-h-o-l-a-d-a-y and then almond like the nut so it's a pseudonym um it's a character from something but uh there you go nice um are you into the pairs getting played dave of course, yes. yes. Um, I think people should be paid for what they do. Um, and if they are marketable and they I, – I, the, o- the only thing keeping them from getting paid above the table right now is a rule in place. It's not market forces. It's nothing but a rule being in place that they cannot be paid. Um, and they're still, they're still getting paid anyway. I don't really care what form it takes. My personal position is I would be completely fine with like – fully professionalizing the entire damn thing, making it pro leagues with free agency and all this crazy stuff. I don't care. Um, but I think any system where the players are getting paid for what they're doing uh, is better. And I, I hate to canard that, you know, oh, well, if you pay, you know, the quarterback this much, do you have to pay the kicker this much? No. Do you have to do that in the NFL? No. I mean, you just, you pay people. I mean, it's going to be market-based it's going to be you know and you can set a salary cap if you want for each team but whatever it is any system is more equitable than what's going on currently and if it's you know even something as little as you know allowing these guys to do sponsorships and at least make money off their likeness fine but i i think something that's even you know even like other jobs would be better (laughs) you know like any job you or i would have where we get paid actual real money for the work that we do. And they are doing work for the university. I think it's silly to call it anything else. Yeah, we really don't get paid for this, and we do work. So we're kind of in the same boat. Um, we, we, we are hobbyists. <laughs> we, are, we are hobbyists. Yeah, I agree with you there. I think the the minimum would be like the likeness stuff. So allow players to do that. I mean, that, that kind of sets the market where if there's a long snapper 
is anyone willing to, you know, give him anything for, you know, probably not, but the quarterback, yes, or the running back or something. So I think that kind of sets the stone. I, I think the, the, the issue would be, well, are you paying football only? Are you paying just the revenue sports? What happens to the water polo team? Uh, I don't know where you stand on that. So that, that's why I think I like the likeness stuff. At least, at least that's where it's like, yeah, if you're, if you're the water polo goalie and you're like a, an all American, is anybody willing to to give you money for something? Yeah, and um, I, I don't know uh, the Title IX implications or if there's anything like that that would. Uh, I uh, but I I think that's a, a uh, nobody's paying to watch water polo. Nobody's paying for water polo players to go to a specific school. But if they are, then great. Like if if UCLA wants to be so dominant in water polo or USC or Stanford or whatever that they're willing to pay those guys each you know fifty grand a year or whatever, fine. Who cares? Like, if it's such a big deal for that school, then that's great. You don't need this, like, false idea of competitive balance. I mean, if, if you're looking at water polo specifically, four schools are getting all of the best players anyway. Um, and it's not like it's going to change drastically the competitive balance in football either, because the same damn schools are at the top of the recruiting rankings every single year, no matter what you do. And those are going to be the same schools that invest a ton of money in paying players. And some of them are the same schools that are already investing a ton of money in paying players. So I just think there's a lot of things that people throw out there as reasons for not doing this just because they like the system the way it is, because it's the way it's what it, it's the way it has always been. I think a lot of people are really obsessed with this idea of amateurism that isn't actually true and accurate. Um, and if you really want that, I mean, go go follow an Ivy League school or campaign <laughs> for all of these to become Olympic sports or whatever it is. But if you want to follow major college football and you want this to be an ongoing thing and you want even a hope in hell that football is going to survive long term at the college level, you should be advocating for paying players some compensation towards them for uh, a lot of damage that they're doing to their bodies throughout their college career uh, would probably be a, you know, from a very cynical perspective, would probably be a good long term bet. I think the Title IX stuff would be interesting, too, because like if you have a situation like baseball. Where, I mean, we know that some men's sports have been eliminated, um, you know, for, for men's baseball. I think you get like 11.4 scholar. I mean, something really small. Like it's, there's not a lot of scholarships there, but if you could actually, okay, this guy's on a half scholarship, but we're also paying him 10 grand or something. Um, you know, maybe that helps some of the schools. I know it, it hurts some of the private schools as far as like, if it's more expensive to, you know, go to USC or something as, as opposed to like Long Beach state, um, you know, could you narrow the gap or, or, you know, make up for some of that lack of scholarships by paying a little bit extra? I don't know how that would work, too. Yeah, and maybe it would be something where it has to fit on Title IX grounds where whatever you spend on the men's athletes, you have to spend them on women's athletes, too. I don't know. Uh, that would be rough. Like, you got to pay a quarterback yeah, a lot of money. Then you, who are you paying on the women's side to, like— I don't know. And maybe maybe it's basically you, you say, oh, we're willing to pay $3 million for sports— players and we just you know you know it again you get into kind of the the cynical nature of it and i mean i think anything where you're actually paying the players would have to involve some level of dealing with the title nine ramifications um whether that's repealing the thing modifying the law or whatever it is or exempting football exempting the revenue sports whatever it is but some system that um creates a, a more equitable position for these players who 
I mean, the demands on a uh, on a football player and the amount of money made off of a football or men's basketball player, and you know, even to an extent, I think women's basketball at some universities makes a good amount of money. Um, so I, I don't want to completely leave off the women, but it's just the 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 the. I mean, the the truth is, it's men's basketball and football that generate most of the revenue. Um, and so I think something that takes them out of the Title IX equation, and you know, we neither of us is a lawyer who's an expert in you know, all this kind of stuff, but, um, yeah, pay the players. Nice. That's, that's our thesis. I like that. Um, so thanks for the voicemail question. Uh, let's see. I think we're going back. I got, conference, I got one from Wyatt. Conference rel- yeah. Let's do Wyatt. You want me to do that? Or you want to do it? I'll do it. Okay. This is uh, titled conference relegation. <laughs> hey, Ryan and Dave. I had this thought while I was watching Arizona State lose to Syracuse and UCLA losing to St. Bonaventure in the first round four of the NCAA tournament. With the conference going 1-8 and eight in bowl games and only getting three teams into the NCAA tournament, actually one if you consider the tournament to start uh, – actually one if you only consider the current tournament to start once the field of 64 has been filled after the first four games. Do you think that the Pac-12 should lose its Power 5 status and be relegated to a mid-major? This relegation would apply like how the British Premier League relegates the worst team in the league down to a lower, less powerful league, and it must earn its way back to the Premier League. If that ever were to happen, who do you think out of the mid-major conferences should take the Pac-12's place until it has turned it around and can earn its Power 5 spot back? Would love to hear what you have guys have to say. I think relegating an entire league is just – it's tough. Yeah. It's tough to do on any real level because – so if you relegate them as a league – then you're basically relegating USC football, which doesn't deserve it, and Arizona basketball, which doesn't deserve it, um, along with the rest of the wheat and chaff. I mean, and you're, you know, relegating Stanford football, which doesn't deserve it, and all these other things. I think it's more about relegating teams, and then it's obvious which teams in the league would maybe be up for relegation. I think if you were going to replace them as Power Five, I think the AAC maybe makes the most sense. Yeah. Where well, do they stand and, and, in, in, in basketball, basketball? There's six, right? There's already six power leagues. Yeah, there are six power leagues because the Big East is still a thing. Yeah, um, and the AAC is right behind the Pac-12 and um, in those right now. So, but the AAC got better TV for like they were on CBS, right? There, the conference uh, tournament and stuff. Yeah, it was better than what the Pac-12 had. Yeah, and they had three teams in the NCAA tournament this year, all of whom made the actual field, Cincinnati, Houston, and Wichita State, all of whom were top six seeds. Um, so they're, you know, the AAC is not bad. Uh, so they were the seventh best conference this year, seventh best conference last year, and this is in hoops, seventh best conference in 2016, ninth best in 2015, and seventh best in 2014. So they've been pretty clearly the seventh best conference in most years typically getting between three and four uh teams in the ncaa tournament every year so yeah let's put them in um in hoops and uh take the pac-12 down a notch let's do it and i think he made why it made a mistake because maybe he was talking about the women because ucla didn't play a saint bonaventure team right like that wasn't the men's was that the men's that that's the men's really so that happened yeah, UCLA um, played a, a, a team that shares the same name as a local high school and <laughs> lost. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Syracuse I at least heard of, you know. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, it's, um, yeah that's, a, that's a place. That's a place in New York. Yeah, it snows a lot. Their offense is pretty awful this year, but they keep they, winning games. 
they've won a national championship in the sport that was played. Yeah. So Carmelo. that's something. Um, St. Bonaventure is also in New York. I don't know if you knew that. I did not. I learned this uh, <laughs> last week. Um, and uh, and they beat UCLA. So, How did St. Bonaventure do in their next game? Uh, they did not win the, 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 <laughs> the subsequent basketball game. Ah. They lost. They lost that game. Gotcha. All right. Uh, let's see. Should we move on? I do like that. Rele- relegation would be neat if we like got rid of conferences and made like a power like 64 league or whatever. Like there's just like a like division one is like 64 teams and you could like get rid of like three or four of them every year and like move people up. So like Oregon State just doesn't get to hang out and be one in 11 every year and still be in the Pac-12. Like they'd have to. You know, they'd have to win some games. Otherwise, they get knocked down, and they'd have to win some games at the lower level to get back up. I think that would be more fun. Yeah, yeah. You need a much more um, unified structure in place. But, yes, that would be so much fun. Yeah. All right. Our buddy that uh, was asked about in the voicemail question, Hithliday Almond, congratulations on completing the Deep Dive series. That's all thanks to you, Hithliday. Uh I had my doubts that this podcast had the necessary institutional support and competence to achieve its program goals, but it just goes to show how far a great original idea can take you. That was like giving himself a pat on the back, I think. That was a big pat on the back for yeah. himself. Okay, two-part question this week, since I can't figure out how to relate the Washington and Washington State publishers' uh, comments. Says first, Fetters touched on something that wa- with Washington that I've always wondered about. Isn't UW the quote-unquote natural heir of the Pac-12 North. It seems like it's got the same makeup of schools like USC, Texas, Georgia, and Miami, urban locations in a large population state, strong athletic commitment, winning history, big budget, and the sweet spot of academic prestige without exclusivity. It makes the generation-long fallow period fairly baffling, I think the absence of UW on a national stage for 25 years is the biggest dog that didn't bark. Get it? In college football of our lifetimes. Put another way, what's the bigger reason that UW is only now coming into their own, having a weaker backyard recruiting pool than the other schools I mentioned, or a pretty atrocious record of hiring and firing head coaches in the search to replace Don James since 1993? All right, should we tackle that one yeah, first? Yeah, let's do that first. So first, I would say it's not a large population state. I mean, Washington is, uh, I think it's like 7 million. I mean, Cal- California is almost 40 million. Texas is almost 30 million. Florida is like 21 million. And then who else did he mention? Uh, Georgia. Miami. So Georgia, Texas, USC, Miami. Georgia is like 10.4. But I mean, Washington is mid-tier they're like 7.4 they're about the same as arizona um so it's not like it's a hugely populous state so i think that's part of why that recruiting base actually isn't that great because i mean they have a third of the population of florida and you know the more i mean this is simple math but the more bodies there are in a state the more likely there is that there's going to be you know more athletic bodies in that state so um i think that probably plays a role in the lack of um a recruiting base there. I don't know enough about Seattle area football. Um, if there's like a really strong tradition, I know there's a few schools up there that are pretty good. Like Bellevue's really good. Um, but I don't think it's like LA or even the Bay area where there's, you know, a lot of big time programs. Um, 
And hiring and firing head coaches, I think they've done a mediocre job. Um, yeah. I, I would say, I mean, they, they, they managed to go to a Rose Bowl with Rick Neuheisel. So, I mean, I, I think that's actually winning despite your coaching. Oh, that's but. a Hall of Fame coach right there. Come on. Dude. <laughs> he plays a guitar. Uh, I don't know if you knew that, but he plays. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. But I, I don't think it's. Uh, I mean, I think there's there's some there's some issues at Washington that kind of, you know, make it a, a. I don't know. I think it's a little bit. I mean, it's obviously more difficult to win there than I think it is at at you know Texas or Florida or USC or Georgia. Um, and I think it has to do with that lack of recruiting base. You just have to recruit. When Don James was winning there, he was recruiting California really well, and I think you have to recruit California super well at Washington, and that's difficult to do when the California schools are good, you know, when Stanford's good, when USC's good, when UCLA's good, when Cal is, you know, if they get good again, like it's more difficult to do it. Yeah. I think the biggest difference is you mentioned, I mean, it's just, yeah, it is an urban location, strong athletic commitment, winning history, big budget, uh, you know, academic prestige without exclusivity, all that stuff, except the large population state. It's just, there's not the same amount of, Division one athletes around that school, where if you're at Georgia or you're Miami, I mean, you trip over five star guys. USC, you know, UCLA, you can do that. Texas, you can do that. Um, you know, in Georgia, there's just tons of, you know, probably behind, you know, behind Florida, California, and Texas, Georgia has the most Division one guys coming out. So um, you're not seeing that with Washington. So you do have to recruit. Um, and I think, you know, there haven't been, there have been some misses on the coaching side uh you know for that program to go zero and 12 i mean that was <laughs> that was ridiculous you know and you needed like a steve sarkeesian to kind of bury you you know dig you out of that and then usc does washington a favor by hiring him away and, and you end up with chris peterson so it took a while to get the right guy but i think they got the right guy in place now dave um and it should be like that going forward so i think i think you there's a lot of built-in benefits but you have to get a couple things right and the coach is one of them and I think they just got a lot of wrong coaches over the years. Yeah, yeah, I think that's probably the the fairest assessment of what's going on. And I mean, I don't think UW is the biggest dog that didn't bark, even in the Pac-12. I mean, I, I think I think you can make a claim that uh, the school I cover is in that group. Um, Colorado, your favorite team, or is it no different? Uh, yeah, yeah, the uh, the UCLA Bruins. Oh, okay. um, you can make it. a claim. Um, them being like right there with Arizona with the fewest conference titles in the last 20 years, which is zero. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I think UW has certainly missed some opportunities in the last 25 years, but I don't, and you know, maybe some of their mediocrity in the two thousands allowed that Oregon juggernaut to build a little bit more rapidly. Um, but I don't know. I, I don't think they've, and I, I, and I wouldn't say they've missed the boat entirely in that time. I mean, made, they made a Rose bowl and, you know, there's, there was certainly some success in there. Yeah. Thanks to Rick Neuheisel. That was the one coach that they, I thought he did mm-hmm. a really good job mm-hmm. with. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> before we get to the second point, I forgot. I, I sent Dave a text. I was driving in the car and uh, I brought up our podcast and I, I know people had mentioned listening to it on half speed, which I hadn't done. So I did that finally for the first time and it was pretty funny. Um, how drunk we sound. I think you're a little more drunk because I, I speak a little faster. So it sounds a little more normal. It still sounds bad, but um, you just sound really drunk on that, Dave. I sound so drunk. <laughs> it's the best thing in the entire world. I can't recommend it enough. 
uh, it's really it's really a lot of fun. If you have four hours to kill, listen to this entire podcast on half speed. Yeah, I haven't done that. I've only listened to part. Like, but I just wanted to get a feel for what it was like. Yeah, I've never listened to longer than like a minute on half speed, oh, okay. but it's a lot of fun. Yeah. Okay. His second point uh, about Washington State. He said Bolton mentioned Wazoo always being in the hole until the fans step up their giving. I've always wondered how this works for the have-nots trying to bootstrap themselves since this strikes me as a catch-22. You can't succeed without money. You can't succeed. You can't get money without success. Is Wazoo destined to be a farm team for richer schools to harvest their assistant coaches until some coog and invests a way to, uh, I'm sorry, invents a way to turn lentils into rocket fuel and fill nights the program. Um, well, so I think what happens is a lot of schools they'll suddenly get you know they'll 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 hire a good coach who's undervalued for whatever reason, and this is you know what you can do. I mean, Washington State did that. They hired Mike Leach, who wasn't getting a sniff anywhere else, and he's helped turn that program around. I don't know the specifics of uh, Wazoo's financial situation. I know Barry said yeah that was something that fans needed to start contributing um, more money, but um, when you get a good coach that can suddenly turn things around, cause an investment of more resources, and then suddenly it builds on itself. That's what happened with UCLA just recently. Um, Jim Mora went in, suddenly won nine games and then 10 games and then 10 games, and that brought in a huge influx of money that helped build you know, UCLA a new football facility and invest, get a lot of money invested in the program that subsequently got them Chip Kelly. Um, I, I think it can work like that, but you have to make the hire. Um, what... I think it's more the margin of error. Um, these kinds of schools, you don't have as great a margin for error, um, like Washington State, like Oregon State, like Arizona, um, where you can just hire anybody. You've got to hire the right guy who can, you know, make things happen um, on the the right budget. And I think Washington State did that, and that's you know maybe going to turn into more money coming into the program. We'll see on Oregon State. Um, we'll see if Jonathan Smith is that guy. Um, but I think you need to have somebody who's an advantage. That's why we were talking on this podcast, you know, for like a school like Oregon State, for example, um, go hire somebody who's a little bit of a different something in the league who might be able to turn your under-talented team into a little bit more competitive for their talent. You know, someone like Ken Nayamatololo, um, who could have come in and brought the triple option immediately made Oregon State a little bit more competitive. And then if Oregon State gets five or six wins, suddenly the boosters are a little bit more, you know, invested in that program. Maybe they put a little bit more money into it. And then, you know, you can start recruiting better. Or you can invest more in your facilities and so on and so forth. So I think it's all about making that coaching higher. I agree with you there. Um, we got an, I think we got another one from Hithliday. Oh, oh no, this is no, no need to read this one on oh, air. Oh, dang. Okay, sorry. Well, what's the yeah. next one we got then? All right, this is from Bill V. Uh, congratulations, you guys did it. You finished an awesome batch of pod. You finished an awesome batch of podcasts covering all the conference football programs. And to celebrate, I pose this fun question to you: Which performance is the best by the Pac-12 this year? The NCAA men's basketball tournament, all teams eliminated in the play-in or first round, the conference football team's bowl game performance, the ratings for the Pac-12 network, or finally, any time the Stanford band stepped onto the, the field. Does anybody like the Stanford band? I mean, really, I'm not entertained. 
So how are the women's water polo teams doing this year? Thanks to the quality podcast, guys. Keep it up. You're a light in the darkness of the Conference of Champions. Cheers from Bill V. All right, so which performance was the best? So, I mean, so really the best? Or are we talking? Are we looking for the worst? We're looking for the best. I I, I would say we, we, we let's find we rank let's find let's find the least smelly pile of crap here. I would say the Stanford band. Yeah, probably. I mean, some of them can at least play their instruments, right? <laughs> There's. It's funny how some people. I mean, I, I find it's you know entertaining sometimes. I mean, it's kind of interesting to see what they do. It's like this. Uh, the dichot- I mean, it's just so strange to have, you know, Stanford, this button down academic institution and the band. Um, I don't have like it's kind of like Bill Walton. Like it just it's just kind of this anomaly, this strange sort of thing. I, you know, I'm kind of. Yeah, they're fine. Yeah, they're fine. But Whatever. there's some people that hate, 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 hate. Just some like people. The- some people take things very seriously. Yeah, they take their sports very seriously. But then the band, too, it. does go too far sometimes like and they. You know, when they get banned from places, it's like for a legitimate reason because they, you know, if you play or play against Notre Dame and you're making fun of like the Irish potato famine that killed like hundreds of thousands of people, like maybe, you know, maybe that's going a little too far. And that- yeah, maybe it, it, it just didn't land right. You know, <laughs> that kind of that kind of comedy. You're walking a tightrope. Uh, so- yeah. I mean, well, like I, it's it's the same people who get mad. I mean. Anything dumb college kids are doing. Who cares? It's just yeah. dumb college kids did something stupid and they got suspended. But it's not – I mean people get so up in arms about this stuff and it's yeah. just – But I would I say know. they are the high, the most successful of the four that, that were given to us. Yeah. Yeah. And if we're talking about the other three, I mean it's probably football, right? <laughs> like at least Utah won a game. <laughs> yeah. Like I mean as bad as the, – the all they're all horrible, okay? Right. I would probably say football, they at least won one game. Utah, like, represented uh, Kyle Winningham. Yeah, and it was over a team that was missing their starting quarterback, but whatever, yeah. right? Oh, man, when I tweeted about that, they hated that. When I They hate it so much, and they're going to they're gonna get so mad that I just said it again, but whatever. <laughs> then I would probably go hoops. And then ratings. And then, I mean, yeah. the when the ratings are like a zero, it's, it's hard to get worse, right? Like, it, Worse than zero is, is tough. But it's tough. But the Pac-12 had zero wins in the in the in the tournament, so so they're equal. They're zero. Maybe they're both just right. god awful. Yeah, people love giving us like lists of things to rank. I, I like it. No, it's got fun. Yeah, uh, funny list. So thanks for that, Bill. Uh, let's see, next one, new topic. I haven't read this. Hopefully, Clayne from Seattle. He's our buddy that gave. Uh, he brought me the uh, Pac-12 cupcakes he was intending to bring it to both of us and then you picked them up and you just ate them all well in my defense they were good <laughs> wait, <laughs> wait you weren't around or something right no like, no I, no i i still i still lived there then but was something happened like were you trying like i i don't think i just i actually i, I have no recollection of yeah. this i think it was more that like i just had something else to do and i was like i don't want to get down there to pick up cupcakes from you yeah I, I wouldn't think. I mean, I would. I could see myself just, you know, bombarding all of the cupcakes. cupcakes. Yeah, but I would at least try. Like, I wouldn't like. Ah, uh, yeah, he, yeah. I could walk three feet and give him a day, but I'm going to skip that and just eat them myself. Yeah, yeah. No, that okay. doesn't seem like you. He says, "Hey guys, I like to share. Uh, just finishing the deep dive series. Tremendous work. Thank you. I think the fact that people are complimenting us then that, that means most of them didn't think we were going to do it, and I don't think we thought we were going to do it." <laughs> 
in case you were truly yeah they're not they're not like complimenting us on how good it was they're complimenting us on the sheer fact <laughs> that we stuck with something for that amount of time and just got through with it yeah that's great we did um okay in case you were truly confounded ryan you're the straight man dave is the irreverent funny guy irreverent irreverent now why can't i even say this i'm just gonna let you struggle you're the funny guy i'm the straight man (laughs) is that good yeah it was great i feel like i have marbles in my mouth half the time what is going on here no it's great i love Uh, it what did i eat for lunch maybe that was it okay it's been a while since i've written a tumbler of whiskey (laughs) i should have it's once we get to like hour two, it's just hard, you know. Yeah, no, I, I, this has been a struggle. One, I'm sure people have noticed. It's been a struggle one the entire time. It's great. And this was like last minute. Like I texted Dave yeah. last night. Like, do you want to do one? Okay. Um, so we put a lot together in the last minute. So we do apologize, but maybe not top of our game. It's been a while <laughs> since I've written in. So to business, the deep dive got me thinking about the makeup of the coaching staffs. I know you have bantered around. R- rank lists of head coaches, but what about the assistants? Uh, would you consider having a respective 24-7, uh, your respective 24-7 partners give an insider's view on each team? You could break up, uh, you could break like. up, like, I'm sorry, he means like, the deep dive series. Thanks for keeping me entertained during the offseason. Clayne from Seattle. Um, I just, so, I can't see people caring. Yeah, probably not as much, you know. It's hard to rank, like, it's just to know about all the assistant coaches. Like, you really need to go with each well, expert on that. And then you got to, like, kind of compare and contrast. That would be tough. Well, and, and like, I, I want to take everyone behind the curtain right now. Um, when people get recruiting info from, like, staffs, a lot of times it's from the assistant coaches. And nobody wants to sit around ranking the people they're talking to all the time. Yeah. So just generally like any time that anybody's asked me a question about like an assistant coach while they've still been working there, I've been like almost deliberately vague unless it's, you know, a situation that's so obvious because it's just, you know, it, it kind of rubs into that area where we sort of have two jobs. Um, so just keep that in mind when you ask questions about assistants. Yeah. And you can look at like, we'll put uh, next to recruits uh, who the main assistant coaches, you know, recruiting that guy. And sometimes, you know, you might hear from uh, like from someone on the staff, like, <laughs> no, no, I'm recruiting that guy. Yeah. No, no, I'm recruiting that no, guy. No, really? This is, I'm the main guy. So, yeah. yes. Yeah. I think that would be tough to do, Clayne, but yeah. thank you. Yeah. All right. This is from our man, Futa Meki. Uh, and he, he also says just at the end of this, don't worry about the pronunciation, Ryan. It's just a pretend name anyway. Sweet. See, I know. Um, so he has a question. Uh, Pac 12 blame game. Hi, Dave and Ryan. The Pac-12 just had its worst year in memory, 1-9 and nine in bowl games, 0-3 oh in the NCAA tournament. Nationally, we're a joke. Some blame Larry Scott, but I have an alternate theory. Blame UCLA. Ooh, ooh, man after my own heart. Wow. In the last 10 years of football, USC, Oregon, Stanford, and Washington have taken turns carrying the conference standard. Who's missing from this list? UCLA. Well, I mean, like, and, I mean, and, like, seven other schools. But, yeah, UCLA is missing from that list. Uh, in the last 10 years of basketball, Arizona is consistently in the national conversation. Oregon made a Final Four. Who's missing? UCLA. UCLA has resources, location, history, and name recognition. UCLA hasn't been relevant in football for 20 years and basketball for 10. If you had to pick one school to blame for the league status, a school that should be better 
Who would you pick? I'm a diehard Bruin, and my answer is UCLA. Futa Meki. All right, Ryan, I, I need you to weigh in on this because I feel like I might lose my objectivity or what little <laughs> remains of it on this subject because I'm in full agreement on this because – so football tradition-wise, um, UCLA, like in the long run, is behind USC – fine behind Washington and right now behind Oregon and Stanford, that's fine. But everyone else, UCLA has a better tradition than, uh, yes. and for them not to have really even been in the conference conversation aside from one year in 2012, where they, uh, lost to Stanford in the title game, um, uh, in the last basically 20 years is crazy. And then for the basketball program, which recruits at about the fourth best level in the country over the last, 10 years but pretty much forever uh to not have won the conference more than once in the last 10 years is also crazy yeah i would say in that 2012 year usc was couldn't go right so that's the only reason UCLA. no won. no no. That was, that was 2011 2012, 2011 okay. ucla won it won the south legitimately um and then lost to stanford in the title game okay that was the okay um yeah i agree on the football side i mean should have should be above Stanford and Oregon. Um, you know, obviously not in the last whatever years, but, um, and they have the benefit, you know, that when you talked about the big dog not barking, like that would be the team I would likely pick. Now for, for basketball recently, I think Alford's done an amazing job. And I think, you know, <laughs> <you're> just... <laughs> no, just... he's like the Rick Neuheisel of, you know, oh yeah, yeah. No, I, I completely 100 percent agree with that analogy. <laughs> no, just because if you don't know, like, so Dave loves to tweet about, I mean, all kinds of crazy stats about UCLA basketball. The last time they were this bad at this was 1935. The last time they're this, you know, like all this like facts and stuff. It's all about basically Alford being like historically one of the worst UCLA basketball coaches ever is his main theme. So I always try to add, you know do a little comic relief or something. I'm like, oh, you know, he's okay. He's not that bad. But yes, I, so I would agree. Um, they haven't been there at the same level on both the football and basketball side. If there was one team in the conference that you could inject uh, something, you know, some formula that would make their teams be better as a program, and you could inject that into Oregon State, and I don't think it would move the needle on the conference as much. If you injected that in UCLA, that would have the biggest impact on the conference as a whole, as far as turning around a program that just has been falling short. If UCLA hasn't fallen short as they have been over the last decade, I think the PAC 12 would be a different place. If that's, if that's what he's getting at. Yeah, no. And I think that's the one, probably the one school you can point to where that's the case. Cause USC probably, I, I mean, and I'm, I'm not meaning to be flippant here, even in the last 15 years, even if you count the Carroll years, probably not quite competing at the level it should at football. I mean, I think that's probably fair. Given yeah, yeah. Sarkeesian, Kiffin um, years, especially, um, but close enough, like whatever, 85, 90 percent level. Um, and Arizona in basketball, probably pretty close to 100 percent of its level. But UCLA, I mean, relative to resources, what it's produced in football and basketball in the last, like, don't even take it 10, 15 years. Take it 40 years. I mean, it's it's stupid how bad they've been. And it's largely due to really, really inept management of the programs um, from president of the university, chancellor of the university, down to athletic director, down to, you know, who they're hiring 
football and basketball coach wise. Um, and it's been that way for decades upon decades. And they, you know, finally seem to have broken out of it a little bit with building the football facility, hiring Chip Kelly. Um, but yeah, the lack of seriousness UCLA has displayed towards its athletics. I think it, that's what I was trying to get at earlier. And, and Futa Meki actually articulated it well, but you can blame UCLA for a lot of this. I mean, just the simple fact that they've been so bad relative to what they should be resource wise and uh, investment in the program wise is, I think, a pretty telling thing about why the Pac-12 is where it is. Yeah, that's it. I never really thought of it that way, but um, you know, certainly, you know, what if Oregon wins the national title? Like, there's small things. You know, oh, yeah, yeah. There's For things sure. that could have happened, but just in general, yeah. If the, Oregon had won the national title under Chip Kelly, who's now the UCLA head coach, so yeah. you know, if Chip Kelly had done his job, and he's now associated with UCLA, so it all comes back. So all we'll comes see. Back you, to Westwood. Yeah, UCLA with the sleeping giant, whatever you want to say. Like, there's... <laughs> There's something that, you know, at, at one point you got to break through. You, you got to win, a, you know, just randomly win a Rose Bowl. Like Clay Helton won a Rose Bowl for USC. Like, I don't know if it's a lot of people are expecting It's not even like that. Sleeping Giant. It's like sleeping, like, you know, pretty tall guy. Just like <laughs> behave like a really tall guy. Don't, you don't have to be like some eight foot tall thing. Just be like, you know, good 6'3, okay? Yeah. Uh, but that was, that was a good one. Um, okay. We got one last one, I think. It just says podcast question from Anthony. That's ominous. Yeah. Hey, Ryan and Dave, who does more with less? So Larry, Chris, who, do you know how to say that Chris name? Koviak. Chris Koviak. Who's that? That's the basketball coach for Utah. Oh, nice. Or Kyle Whittingham. Kyle Whittingham. So this is a basketball thing? Come on, Anthony. What are we talking about? Like, I don't know. Basketball coaches now? Especially I'll, I'll like... handle it then. It's, it's Chris Koviak. Um, nice. U- Utah recruits at dirt level in basketball like dirt and it's not like in football where they have a good local base of like all those defensive linemen and everybody who just like are you know gonna go to utah they don't have that in hoops like there's nothing like that they recruit it like they're like the 10th best program in the pac-12 that's the level they recruit and they've been consistently top half under Kristoviak. if not – actually, this is one of my Alford stats. They have been, on average, ranked higher in the Pac-12 in the end-of-season rankings than UCLA. Think about wow. that. Utah recruiting is basically the 10th best program in the Pac-12, uh, has consistently turned out better teams. So would you – do you think he does more with less or Kyle Whittingham? Oh, Kristoviak. Okay. He does more with less, yeah. Definitely more. Okay. Um, I mean, because Kyle, Kyle Whittingham still gets, you know, they get a bunch of four stars. Yeah, he's yeah. got some talent. Then um, yeah. they, they certainly do a lot. I think if Whittingham can get over the hump and actually, you know, win the Pac-12 South, that's the one. You know, they keep finishing second and stuff to win the South. I think, uh, you know, that would be significant. But and then he also wants to know who does less with more: Steve Alford, your friend, your pal, your buddy, or Jim Mora. I probably would go with Alford just because of the, the the rankings are always you know they're there's I think they're ranked higher basketball rankings more than football rankings right like constantly like top twenty in football but better than that in basketball. Yeah, I mean they've been again they've recruited about I mean not consistently top four but if you do the aggregate classes from the last six or seven years like there's only three schools that are consistently ahead of them Duke Kentucky and Arizona and hoops so. Yeah, I think it's probably Alford. I mean, Mora, 
you almost have to split it up because if you're looking at the first three years of Mora, there's no question it's Alford. But if you look at the last two, I, there's almost no question it's Mora because given the recruiting rankings for that to turn out a four and eight team and then a six and seven team, that's pretty awful. Um, so, yeah, I'd probably give it to Alford um, just because Mora did have those first three years where he did probably about as well as that talent should actually do, which is a rarity for UCLA. So, yeah. I'd go with Alford here. Nice. All right. I think that's our last uh, question. Do we have a, was there a tweet or something? I thought. I don't know. No, there were. Okay. So the American uh, tweeted out American athletic conference partners with the Atlantic coast conference on football officiating Alliance. So yeah. there was a story about that. And then big easy two Oh six wrote us. In response to this move, the Pac-12 released this statement from Larry Scott. Read my lips. Everything is fine. Uh, Pac-12 <laughs> podcast. So thanks for that tweet. We got a lot of good tweets. People, uh, a lot of snarky comments. They're kind of following uh, our lead a little bit. Yeah, it's great. We've got a little uh, little group, a little collective that you've uh, really d- done nothing to help build. I think it's just been me entirely on Twitter. Thank just, you for doing that, Dave. Yeah, just working so hard every day, <laughs> responding to people. We're Liking, th- retweeting, you know how it is. He, Dave doesn't do any of that. Um, I don't do any of it. I, 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 I don't <laughs> even have to log into our Twitter account anymore. You don't? Come on, man. Of course I do. I still <laughs> retweet and like stuff occasionally. We have over a thousand followers now. I know. We do. That's, we do. That's nice. Us. Us. It's a partnership, Dave. It doesn't this matter if I do a little bit more here or there. That's fine, you know. Here or there, every, in every single facet, <laughs> every way. Like, you even have to do, like, the not fun part of hosting this show. Like, you have to read off all the stuff at the beginning. That's like, you have to read point. off, like, the voicemail phone number, which you takes, could, like, 15 minutes. You could do that. It doesn't matter. I probably couldn't. <laughs> I'm pro- probably incapable. But it's it's impressive. And you know what? We're all We're all big fans. Every one of us. Well, somehow, like this sort of throwaway show lasted over two hours again. Like, I don't think we can talk on the phone that doesn't go at least two hours. I don't think we can. I really well, don't. I was like, let's knock this one out in about 45 minutes somehow. And uh, no. Well, I did. I, I did. Like, I think I blacked out through the first 45 minutes, but I think we talked a lot of basketball. Yeah, we we did. Uh, I mean, we had to talk about the Pac-12. People wanted. I wouldn't even mention this yet. They wanted an emergency podcast. Like right when this happened, people were like, "When Arizona lost, people wanted an emergency podcast." And we're like, "I think, I think you texted, I texted you, and then you, you're like, but that means we have to talk about basketball." Yeah, and it, it tweeted yeah. it out. Yeah, uh, which we did. We did talk a little basketball, but I'm we like, I, I am not about. You know, I literally don't watch it anymore. Like we talked about this. I used to. I used to get into it. I didn't fill out a bracket this year. I do like watching the tournament and it's been, there's been some really exciting games, but I just don't ever watch regular season games. It just doesn't interest me anymore. So it's like, I don't feel like, why am I filling out a bracket? Like, I don't know any of these teams. Like I, I want to watch the games. Like it's cool. If you want to take the day off from work and go to a bar on Friday or something and, and watch a crap load of games. I didn't do that this year, but I would like to, or go to Vegas for the weekend. I think all that would still be fun, but I just don't know anything about these teams anymore. And it's just, so it doesn't really interest me to like fill out a bracket. Yeah, I, I completely get it. And, you know, I, I I was trying to remember, like, the last time I watched, like, a regular season college basketball game that wasn't, like, UCLA, which is basically my job. Um, and I, I it's got to be years. 
Like, it's got to be literal years since I've watched a regular season college basketball game other than UCLA. Um, and the tournament's still fun, but, like, not in any way the same way it was. And I don't think it's just, like, you know, time. I mean, it's just – I think it's a worse sport than it used to be. Yeah. Like, I think the one-and-done stuff screwed it up. Um, I think all the this corruption stuff is making something obvious that's been, like, kind of under the surface for – you know, years and years and years now that makes it a little bit less fun to watch. Like all these different things that make it just kind of a little bit, you know, a little bit more of a chore to watch it. Um, and not being able to watch the same team. And like, you know, if you watch Duke one year or Kentucky one year, it's none of the same guys as the previous year yeah. ever. Um, except for like, you know, that Grayson Allen dude who's horrible. Um, <laughs> But it's just, you know, you just watch these teams and it's, not, it's never any continuity. It's never the same guys. And uh, it's just – and the, the product itself, I mean, I think the coaching is worse it just in general. Like, and I think it's just – and especially with the NBA becoming such a better product in the last, you know, 10 years or so as they've embraced kind of the analytics of the sport a little better and they're doing things much more efficiently. And then college basketball is still in this – thing where they're doing these ineffective post-ups all the time and running these super controlled offenses that are designed to get like tough two pointers as their best shots. It's just, you know, it's just not a, not a very watchable product when you have other things to watch. Yeah. We'll see. I mean, do I mean, you think some rule changes could, can make things better or the fact that this tournament was so exciting, do you think it gets a little more publicity or not publicity, but just a little more excitement in, in the, in college basketball in general? I think they need to figure out some solution to the NBA problem, um, and I don't know what that is. Uh, I don't think anything in the short term is going to fix it. Um, I think they need to figure something out there. Whether it's going – the Pac-12 proposed a bunch of stuff that was like going to something like the baseball rule where guys are eligible immediately out of high school, but then if they do not go to the NBA, they you know the NBA doesn't draft them for three years. Um, and you know that could work. I don't know. Um but I think they need to figure out something because the one and done era is just screwing it up for everybody. Um, and it's not making it great for the players either. I mean, until uh, like the, the testing, the waters stuff for the NBA draft was a real, like it was a real like risk. These guys were taking, um, I think they changed the rule back finally last year, but there was a point where it was the, the time to declare that you were coming back was after or was before you would even get feedback from NBA teams. So you would be just kind of leaping without any knowledge. Um, so it's, uh, it's just not a good situation and they need to figure out some, some way to fix that because I think the lack of continuity these teams have is, is, uh, one of the biggest issues for people watching the sport. Well, I think I'm going to go home and take a shower because we just talked basketball again. I, I can't do it. I, I can't do it. I think <laughs> it, it, it like makes me like because I, you know, I went to UCLA when they were going to Final Fours every year. And college basketball, I think, was like was really good. And the Pac-10 was really good right then. And so it actually makes me like a little bit depressed to talk about college basketball in general because it's so bad now. Yeah, Like it's just so bad in general. <sighs> yeah, but we'll see. But we, you know, we had to with the. The demise of we the Pac-12. To. We had to at least discuss it. So I don't think we'll talk much basketball going forward. There's no, no there's never no, again, never again, probably never again. Hashtag um, never again. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for all the questions. We appreciate that. The topics um, and all the uh, other publishers around 24/7 Sports for 
giving us updates on spring ball. If you have any specific questions for the school about spring football, you know, we can kind of deep, dive deep in some of those, get some insights from our, our experts around, and we'll probably try to talk some NFL draft stuff. You know, we'll, we'll figure some stuff out over the next few weeks, but spring football will be going on for a while. And uh, Dave and I, I think it'll be fun to talk some more spring ball. Dave, don't you think? Yeah. 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 I mean, spring balls. I mean, yeah. Yeah, it'll be fun. It'll be so much fun because spring ball is so useful and it's such important information <laughs> that comes out of it. It's always so great. I'm going to hype up the rest of these shows because spring ball is so much fun. We're not at all counting down the days until the actual football season starts. No, it's not at all. Great. We love it. We love football in April. It's fantastic. <laughs> awesome. All right. Well, I think we should wrap it up because we're like two hours and 11 minutes in. <laughs> that is David Woods from Bro. I am Ryan Abraham from USAFootball.com. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Podcast of Champions, and we will talk to you next time.